The Lifestylist, episode 204, featuring Michelle Paradise. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. After a long day of interviewing, editing, podcasting, making YouTube videos, doing whatever it is I'm doing with my life, I love to relax later on in the day or in the evening. And that's one of the reasons that I love Organifi Gold. This stuff is truly gold. It's got cinnamon, ginger, lemon balm, medicinal mushrooms, coconut milk, and more than anything, a super big serving of turmeric. It's an amazing anti-inflammatory spice. It's one of my favorites. So I'll make myself a golden latte at night with some good healthy fats in there and just have a nice calming drink. My friends and family love to come over and have my magic uh, gold elixir at night. But I also have been doing it uh, during the day. Just when I need to chill out, I'll make an Organifi drink elixir and I'll put it on ice. And it's actually really delicious that way too. Organifi Gold is the shiznit, guys. Real good stuff. So if you want to check it out, see, I'm trying not to swear as much on the podcast. That's where these weird words come from. I should edit that out, but I won't because I'm high on Organifi Gold. No, seriously, I did have some of it earlier and uh, put me in a really relaxed, um, but still kind of alert mood. It's amazing stuff and it tastes so bomb. You could even make like an ice cream with it. I'm going to start experimenting more with the gold. It's just a really good base powder that you can use for a lot of different things. Sometimes I'll throw some cacao in there, you know, I'll kind of mix it up a bit. Organifi Gold can be found at the following website, you guys. It's Organifi, spelled with an I, dot com forward slash Luke. That's Organifi.com forward slash Luke. If you want to save yourself some cashish to the tune of 15%, once you get over to their site, use the code Lifestylist to save 15% at Organifi.com forward slash Luke. If you're a longtime listener to the show, you already know I'm totally obsessed with foursigmatic.com. If you're a new listener, check this out. I'm going to explain why. All right. I've been taking medicinal mushrooms for a really long time. I'm a huge fan of the Chinese herbal system, of the Russian herbal system. Uh, I believe that there are plants on the planet that can not only prevent you from getting ill, but even help you get well. And one of my favorite products from Four Sigmatic is the Chaga Elixir. Why? Because it's a powerful antioxidant and it's one of the most um, amazing things you can do for your immune system. It's actually called the king of mushrooms. It's like a force field in a cup, you could say. So this is really good during flu season or just when you need some immune support. But not only that, it actually tastes hella good. Unlike some other herbal products and elixirs that are good for you, but don't really taste good, uh, this chaga extract is amazing. And for years, I was making chaga myself, like boiling the big chunks and things like that. And, and honestly, it's quite a pain in the ass to do the extraction yourself. And if you do the extraction, you're only going to get the water-soluble nutrients, not the fat-soluble nutrients, like this full-spectrum chaga elixir from Four Sigmatic. 
in non-geek terms, that just means if you try to do it yourself, you're not going to get the badass stuff out of the chaga that you really want. This is a giant tree mushroom, uh, not the easiest thing to work with. So I'd love for you to check out the Chaga Elixir. I'm not even kidding. I'm not BSing you when I say I take these products every day. I say that all the time and I would not say it if it was not true. In fact, just this morning, I made a coffee with one packet of the Chaga and one packet of the Rishi. There you go, straight up um, as I recorded this. So I'm absolutely obsessed with their stuff. If you want to check out foursigmatic.com, do something great for your health and great for your taste buds, use this URL foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story. That's foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story. If you use the code Luke story at checkout, you're going to save an additional 15% off your order. So it's not only great for you and great tasting, but it's a really good deal. Foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story. Do you keep falling into the same patterns in your relationship? Feel like you keep dating the same person, even if they have a different name and face than the last one? Are you struggling to find your voice in intimate situations? Do you feel stuck? Do you feel awkward? Do you feel weird? Do you keep picking the wrong damn people <laughs> to be in relationship with? Well, today our second time guest, Michelle Paradise, returns to teach us about the science of our relationships and why we need to migrate to certain romantic partnerships and what it is in our subconscious that causes the feelings and patterns that keep both men and women stuck. Michelle's a practitioner of NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. And if you're not familiar, NLP is for personal development, communication, and psychotherapy. It's a tool that helps people think differently about how the world works and achieve excellence in their everyday life. And it's something I've been interested in for a long time. So I love talking to Michelle about this. Now, you might wonder what NLP has to do with relationships, but I want to let you know that language is one of the most important aspects of our relationships. And when we better understand the science behind it, we have a lot more power to make our voice heard and understood. So we get stuck in these patterns because we're all products of romanticism, not reason and logic. And that's where the science comes in. So Michelle's going to teach us how she helps her client find their voices in consciously choosing their partners and finding how to communicate effectively. Here's what we talk about in this episode. What's been going on since we last spoke to Michelle in episode 79 and 80, which is a lot. She's had some very cool discoveries during that time. We talk about what it's like to get in bed with Michelle Paradise, the dilemma with technology and true intimate communication the shadow side of our parents being role models for our partnerships, hypnotic loops that we get lost in that serve no purpose, how opening your heart with kundalini yoga can help you create new patterns, conscious coupling versus trauma bonding, overcoming the sexual shame that men and women often experience, accenting words in normal conversations and covert hypnosis, sex being in the mind and not in the body, the value of opening yourself up to explore deeper sexuality with your partner, working through trauma loops and triggers from past experiences in your new relationships. And then we talk about havening and role havening, which is a modality that Michelle uses that I really love. I've done many sessions with her. And then finally, we wrap up discussing the difference between a similar modality called EMDR and havening. So if you're someone that is in a crappy relationship and you want to fix it because it's worth saving, 
or if you're someone that's out of a relationship and you're afraid to get back in one because you always do it wrong, this is going to be a great episode with you. A little about Michelle before we start this show. Michelle Paradise is an international speaker and coach and is now working with Deepak Chopra as a wellness expert on his new digital platform called Jio.com. She also has 15 years experience working with people from all walks of life who want to make changes in their lives but are still stuck after trying just about every other option. And that's because she works with the subconscious, which she's going to talk a lot about in this episode. Alongside her work with Deepak Chopra, she's also part of a training team that teaches counselors, therapists, psychotherapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists havening techniques to add to their existing methodologies for a quicker and longer lasting result. So Michelle is one of my favorite and most popular guests. I love hanging out with her. We have a really good time in this episode. Obviously, the intro sounds a little serious, but trust me, when we get into it, we're having a blast talking about some pretty, um, well, I want to say graphic, that's not the right word, but we're keeping it real, real. You know what I'm saying? So if you have kids around, this might not be the episode for them. I don't think there's too much profanity per se, but this is kind of an adult-themed conversation. So that is something to keep in mind. I'd also like to invite you to join my private Facebook group. It's called the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group. In there, you can ask questions and stay in touch with not only me, but the other listeners as well. We've got about, um, I think, 3,500 people or something in there at this point at the time of this recording. So it's a growing tribe. It's a lot of fun to hang out in there. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is at Luke Story. I do a lot of live feeds. In fact, if you had been following me on Instagram, you could have watched this very episode you're about to listen to live, uncut, in the moment it was happening. So follow me at Luke Story on Instagram. My live feed and stories offer a lot of value if you're a fan of the show. So with that, let's talk relationships with Michelle Paradise. Enjoy the show. Michelle Paradise, welcome back to Thank the you. Lifestylist Podcast. I love being here. It's exciting <laughs> to see you. It's great to see it's you. It's such, you know, sort of divine timing that you reached out to me and said, hey, I'm going to be in LA for a minute. I'm on to some really exciting mm. new stuff. It's um, around relationships and intimacy and things yeah. like that. And and there was something you said in your uh, in your email when you reached out, you know, a couple of the talking points that you proposed. Mm. One of them was stop dating your mother or father. <laughs> and I was like, we definitely got to record. <laughs> or falling in love with whichever right, you choose. Right, but yes, right. please stop. <laughs> yeah. So um, so it's, it's exciting to see you again, to have you in the studio. This Same might here. be one of the last recordings I'll be doing in this location. Yeah, As exciting. I said, I've, I've got a house I'm moving into in Laurel Canyon. So... Life's going to change quite a bit for me. As for the Lifestylist Podcast studio here, my hope is that in the new spot, I'll have a dedicated room that's not my living room so yeah. I don't have to take the equipment up and down. I just yeah. leave it set up. That and, would be nice, you wouldn't know, it? That's the dream. Okay, so first and foremost, so um, last time you recorded, you were living here in LA. Mm -hmm. I was doing some work with you when you had your practice uh, in Beverly Hills. And then you ran off to London. Yeah. Or where you had been living prior. Yeah. And so um, what's going on in your life right now? What are you super excited about professionally, personally? Okay. So um, as you and some of your listeners may know, I've been practicing um, for about 15 years now, seeing clients. A personal development coach would probably be the best way to describe me. And I 
specialized in trauma of late. That was one of my big things. Very exciting. Sorry. I'm one of the few people that gets excited about trauma. I get excited in fixing it. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. So do I. And I love being part of the journey of doing that. However, in the past year, talk about divine intervention, I've been seeing a lot of couples. I've been sort of attracting uh, couples for therapy and I'm, I'm not your standard therapist. So I try different techniques and things. And, um, the results have been amazing. They've really surprised me. So I thought, hmm. So then I went on a business uh, accelerator course I've been doing in London for the past nine, 10 months. And in fact, I'm going to be doing a podcast soon called In Bed with Paradise. Really? Yes. Oh, cool. But it's not sexual. I know people may think that, but but it's because I'm going to use my surname because I've been told to do that. It's good hook. Um, but I've if we can digress for a second, yeah, yeah. I've noticed that when I was a parent, which I still am, but when my kids were little, they someone once said to me a great piece of advice. They said, if you've got something difficult to talk to your children about, get in the car and drive. And you're both looking forward. And you don't make eye contact. And it really does help people to open up, especially kids, you know. Noted. Isn't that good? Yeah. <laughs> Personal note here, Luke, so, do it in the car. You know, that's... Do fun. it in the car, and, yeah. And hold that thought. But that's yeah. interesting you mentioned that because I've actually... I had a couple uh, situations recently where I felt as, as though I wanted to communicate something. Nothing, you know, too heavy, but just like, hey, there's, yep. you know, energetically, there's a little disturbance in the force and I'd like to talk about it and clear it up. And I actually had the thought, well, we're about to drive somewhere. We could talk about it on the drive. And I had the, Perfect. no, but I had the thought, no, don't do that because then you can't be fully engaged and, and attentive and have eye yeah. contact. <laughs> Sometimes you don't need it. Okay, You good. don't want it. Sounds, okay. No, and, I like it. And you know, I wouldn't suggest to do it about something really that's going to light you up because you're driving. You sure, know? Sure. But it's just a great gentle way. It's non-confrontational. So I did it with my kids. And then I started thinking, um, it's something, I don't know about you, but some of my, my best conversations with my partner was lying in bed just lying in bed, like staring at the ceiling, you know, maybe having read the papers, put them down, having a cup of tea, coffee, whatever. And then you're just lying there and you're talking, you're looking at the ceiling. And again, you're not making eye contact. And I find that a person seems to open up more. They're more vulnerable. They're more transparent. So um, there was this, in London many years ago, there was this young woman. I don't know if you know Bob Geldof, but he was married to this woman. Okay, And she used to- I've probably seen Pink Floyd, The Wall- I mean, I want to exaggerate and say a hundred mm-hmm. times. I've probably watched it in full 20 times as a kid. There you, know? you go. So you yeah. know you know who I speak. Yeah, he sure. was married to Polly Yates, who's unfortunately no longer with us. But she did this. She would interview people in bed for this TV show, this breakfast show. And there's just something about being in bed that people either get a little uncomfortable or a little more vulnerable or a little bit more open. And I thought, what a good idea. So I will, my podcast will be either from their bed, hopefully, or my bed, or maybe we'll get a hotel and do it. But it's going to be from <laughs> I bed. I love it. That's amazing. So that they, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to switch things up a little bit. That's what I think. Oh my God, I love it. And I'm, we're going to talk about intimacy, loneliness, vulnerability, things like that. That's amazing. Um, you know, in in the realm of podcasting, in terms of, um, in terms of the uh, you know the trend of people starting a podcast. Mm-hmm. Of course, having one, I get a lot of people. Hey, you know, I love your podcast. I'm starting one. Yeah, and I've watched that just grow and grow and grow. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many tens of thousands of podcasts there are um, registered in iTunes now. But I've noticed that it's becoming a bit more saturated, even since the two and a half totally. or so years that I did it. Yeah. So. I love that you're finding a way to differentiate. A hook. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You gotta well, have a hook. Well, right? it's great, and it's not only it's not like a just a marketing ploy hook. It's a hook where you're going to bring out different aspects of yep. guest uh, humanity based on changing the setting and. And the mood. So I like that. It's cool. I'm picturing John and Yoko in bed. You know, that one famous mm. photo. Me sitting at the end <laughs> yeah. with the microphone. Yeah. There's got to be some way you could like tie in that iconic photo with your podcast I'm cover. I'm going to Photoshop that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Thanks for, thanks for the tip. And I'm writing a book. Uh, so that's that's cool. the, the journey I'm on at the moment. Oh, um, exciting. But seeing, seeing couples and or individuals who are struggling in their relationships has been really amazing. And I just am very excited about some of the things that I've discovered. And they've helped me personally. And I'm sure you can relate to that when you do podcasts. Oh you, my God, yeah. You have epiphanies and aha moments and things like that. I mean, that's, I think <clears throat> I've grown in, you know, my sort of initial awakening was in addiction recovery, as mm-hmm. I've talked to you about a bit. And um, you know, mentoring and working with men uh, in my journey there. Once I had a little bit of stability and had you know some experience and maybe a bit of wisdom to to pass on, I think I've grown more by being of service and sort of counseling others than I could have ever yeah. gotten having my own guide or mentor mm-hmm. or trying to do it on my own. There yeah. really is something. There is something magical that happens when you are a witness and a participant in someone else's evolution. And that's what I would like this podcast that I'm about to do. I I want to hear people's stories of how they've dealt with... Because this is probably a great starting point. Uh, There's a statistic out there at the moment that we are suffering. 48% of the population are suffering, and it is suffering, from loneliness. And that is also within relationships. It's not exclusive to just single people. Yeah, I just immediately pictured single people. No, no. I I think the worst loneliness is within a relationship. Personally, I think what I've experienced, that is the worst. Because the external world has a perception that everything is okay or you're coupled, right? And therefore, what are you complaining about? But it, it can be the loneliest place in the world to be lonely within a relationship. And these are the people I've been seeing. So that was a starting point for me. Also, there's a statistic at the moment that um, uh, suicide has gone up 25% since the 1990s. And we have more therapies and therapists than we've ever had. So what are we missing? This is, this is my question. These are the kind of things that interest me. <clears throat> my answer is very simple because everything I'm going to say today is not profound in any way. It's very practical, I hope, and, and very relatable. And that is that we, unlike any other species on this planet, have the ability to communicate and connect. And I don't think we're using it. I really don't think we're using it. Amen. Oh my God. It's it's crazy too, because as you say, we have more help uh, available than it, I would say, probably any time in human Ever. history, right? We also um, have the ability to connect with technology mm-hmm. in ways that we've never mm-hmm. had before. And I think there's um, less... Uh, stigma around mental health issues and mm-hmm. issues exactly. having to do with loneliness and you know the um, inherent uh, addictions and compulsions and neuroses that come along with that than ever before. Um, it, it's like I talk about things on my podcast all the time, just on a personal level. And afterward, I go, "Did I just really say that out loud?" <laughs> you know? That's what I love about your podcast. And then nothing, but then you know, and there's no repercussions. All I get is positive affirmations back from listeners exactly. going, "Hey, oh my god, thank you so much for having the courage uh, to speak out about this or that." Now I feel like it's safe for me to come out and talk about these things. So 
it is very interesting that at this point, we have the resources available to us to be more connected, yet here we are feeling more disconnected. Yes, and I don't want to put down technology because I use it. I love it. However, uh, um, a cell phone, a mobile phone can bring us absolutely closer to somebody 3,000 miles away from us and further away from the person sitting in front of us. And that... That's interesting. That is... A double-edged part sword. of the problem, isn't right. it? Right. I'm picturing like a, a, a you know a couple uh, at dinner, at lunch, sitting there on their phones, ignoring each other, yeah. right? Instagramming their food. Yeah. Yeah. I make a point Doing to selfies. always like if my I don't have you know I don't carry a purse. Um, I, well, I do kind of have a purse that I carry right. sometimes, but I don't typically bring it into a restaurant. But I really make a point to turn my phone off, airplane, set it far away, so I'm yeah. not even tempted to have that interrupt. And what a compliment that is to that person that you're with. Well, and it I shouldn't only, be a compliment, but it is nowadays. Yeah, isn't I, only, it? I only hang out with people that I really, really want to be with. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. And I, yeah. I agree. I, Otherwise, I'll just go play with my phone by myself and be perfectly content, you know. Um, but you're right. I see a beautiful young couples in a restaurant where they're dropping a couple hundred dollars for a meal. And I don't know if they've even enjoyed the meal. I, they certainly haven't communicated with each other. And it's over and they're gone, but they've got some great Instagram photos and some great <laughs> right, selfies. Right, right. I, I mean, I, I just don't get that. Call me old fashioned, but I just yeah. don't get that because yeah. I, I know that my life is greatly enhanced by the communication and connection I have with other people. And, you know, referring to my last podcast, I went on a lot about communication and how it breaks down physiology, 55%, tonality, 38%, and words are only 7%. So a text message is pretty useless when you're talking about communication. You I know, mean, at least pick up the phone, then you got 45% communication. Yes. Uh, actually, um, a woman I've been dating uh, recently listened to that episode that we did before. And she said, wow, I, I li- just happened to listen to this interview and um, I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I just want to let you know that I... I don't plan on ever texting anything meaningful and you good. shouldn't either. Something to that <laughs> effect. I was like, thanks for the reminder. I mean, I'm pretty good about that. Yeah. If there's anything halfway serious that needs to be talked about, I'm like, no, pick up the phone. So I think like that's that's a really, um, that's a huge gift to the people that you're communicating with on mm. publicly is putting, I mean, just that out there that through email and text messages, I mean, that can be disastrous and if not disastrous, unproductive. Well, let's look at it this way. A text message removes 93% of the communication. There's only 7% communication. And how many times have you, I'll speak for myself, misunderstood a text message? Oh my God. And the person, no, 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 that's not what I meant. It's like, well, that's that's what's going on in my head, right? That's how I'm hearing it. Even when you're in the same room, looking each other in the eyes, mm. you can uh, misunderstand. Yeah, I mean things are inferred and and um, yeah. misunderstood uh, all the time, yeah. and that's when you're trying to really illustrate your point. So loneliness. Yeah. Um, my I never like to go in the front door with a problem. Okay, because I think by the time a problem comes to me, it's just symptoms. It's no longer the issue. It, and I've got to do an archaeological dig to find out what the encoding issue is. So I was dialing a, a lot of my client stories right back. And I did some research, you know, sort of a, some of my own surveying on it. And this won't come as a surprise because this is, you know, the basis of psychoanalysis is that so much has to do with your parents, right? And your mother and or your father are the first people that you model in your life if you're lucky enough to have both of them. And we tend, well, the brain 
And this is based on neuroscience and various other research things uh, that we we always move towards familiarity. And if you listen to the word familiarity, it has the word familial in it, which is family, right? So I will, being a heterosexual woman, I will have very early on from probably the, the first time I laid eyes on my father and could process the information. He was my um, role model for a partner. And my father was amazing. He was an amazing man. Um, great provider, beautiful human being, but he had a terrible childhood and he was emotionally shut down and remote and all that goes with that. So, and I'm going to use myself as an example because it's, it's the best way to do it. I have, so, so my point is this, I get, just go back for a sec. I get a client that will come to me and he or she will sit down and say, I don't know what to do. I'm dating the same person over and over again. They have different faces and different names, but they're the same person. And I'm like, yep, I know that feeling. And what, what we tend to do is migrate toward the familiar because it's comfortable and we can stay in our comfort zone. And this may sound extraordinary, but the more suffering attached to it, the more we, we tend to migrate to it because it, it's tied up in, uh, it's an emotion. It's a very strong emotion. And there's frustration and disappointment and abandonment and all those other things that a lot of children suffer from. And I'm sure this won't come as a surprise to you because you've heard a lot of people talk about it. And you've had your own experiences. So what I did for years is dated my father. And I remember on my wedding night, my brother, he's slightly older than me. He came up to me and he said, you know, you married your father. Are you serious? Yeah. And Whoa. I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> Reason That's being is my father, who's no longer with us, um, but I'd say this even if he was, he could not emote. He could not show his feelings. He was not emotionally evolved. So I've always gone for the shutdown guy, waiting to be chosen from by him. And being a model, I did that as well. So my whole life has been waiting to be chosen. And I um, wondered why it didn't work. Now, the other thing we do, what the mind does, which is really interesting is we take that first relationship and we want to make it better. So in other words, instead of it having a Hollywood disaster ending, we want the Hollywood rom-com. Meaning your family of origin relationship. So in, in, in my case, um, say the relationship with my mom mm -hmm. that uh, you know would have had some uh, trauma, neglect, abandonment, et cetera, whatever associated with it. So... And it was unresolved. It wasn't able to be fixed because I was a kid and they sure. were, you know, they were where they were. So what you're saying is in a relationship now, subconsciously due to that imprint mm -hmm. and that unfinished business, so to speak, I'll seek out a match, a personality match and a partner and then try and resolve or fix the things that I was unable to finish as a kid. Absolutely. Oh my God. I totally relate to that. That's yeah. crazy. So what I did is I dated my father, but unconsciously... I wanted him to be this amazing guy. I mean, my father was amazing in his own way, but I wanted him to be emotionally intelligent. I wanted him to be communicative with me, uh, physically, emotionally, verbally. Guess what? It didn't work. Right. It just didn't work. And then you, isn't that um, also added stress to the relationship and a, and a barrier to intimacy when you have a fixer-upper? Yeah. Where you're like, nah, they're close. If I could just get this to change and that to change. And and I'm not even one of those women that goes in to change a man because there are some women and some men that do the same thing. They go, yeah. well, I don't like that and that, but I'm going to change her. 
I'm going to change him. It'll be fine. You know, just leave it with me. I'll do it. I never do that because I don't believe in that. And I think I don't, I don't hook up with a person in a relationship to be their mother or their therapist. You know, they've got one of those, maybe both of those. So I'm not, I'm not going into that space and that's not why I'm doing it. So you strive for an adult-adult relationship, not a parent-child or child-parent relationship, which is something I think we talked about before. But I hope this is making sense to listeners because I'm jumping around a bit. But just to really be very clear about it is we do tend to choose our father or our mother going forward. Now, let me just say this. It's not a bad thing all the time because sometimes our father is such an amazing guy or our mother is such an amazing woman. And he or she have a lot of the attributes that really help us to grow, that that's a good thing. But what happens is we get into this hypnotic loop and I'll just sidebar for a minute because when I tell people I'm a hypnotherapist, frequently they get a little freaked out and go, oh, well, not everybody can be hypnotized and don't hypnotize me and don't look in my eyes and all this stuff. And I start laughing and say, honey, you're hypnotized all day long, in and out of (laughs) hypnotic loops all day long. The only difference is that I do it on purpose to help you get out of these hypnotic loops. But driving a car eating, reading a book, watching a TV show, making love, a lot of things become hypnotic loops, right? We we go into autopilot, we have muscle memory for it, all of those things that we can just automatically do it. Some of them are good for us, some of them aren't good for us. And many of them are designed to be hypnotic and addictive as well. Yes, absolutely. The flicker rate on your Apple products is designed to put you in a state that you won't put your phone down. It works really well. TV commercials. Just think of a TV commercial. They just, you know, after a while you're singing the song and you're like, where did that song come from? And you realize (laughs) that it's a jingle on a TV ad or something like that. So, you know, not hip, not all hypnosis is good and not all hypnosis is bad. However, with family, you remember that we are very young when this begins to encode. We don't understand it. The brain isn't fully formed until we're 26 years old at least. And we're not understanding this stuff. We're just reacting to it. And we end up dating our father for years and years and years, sometimes marrying the guy over and over again. And then we get later in our life and go, you know, I've never really been happy. I've never really been in love. It's never really worked out. And I've done my best, you know, I've given it everything I have. But you chose the wrong person in the first place, which is where conscious coupling comes in. I know we've heard of conscious uncoupling um, with... uh, Oh, her name escapes me at the moment. Is that where you break up in a really cool way? Coldplay, <laughs> the guy from Coldplay oh, and Gwyneth Paltrow. I've got it. Thank you. So I was thinking about it and I know it's not a new concept, conscious coupling, but I really think it's important for us to, because I'm a, I'm a resolution-based person and therapist. So I won't sit here today and give problems unless I have a solution to them. So we will get to a solution and, and there definitely is a solution. But I just want people hopefully sit there right now and ask themselves if they've married their mother or father or if they're in a relationship with their mother or father. And that's not a bad thing. It's what do they, you know, what attributes do they have that are good for you? And what what attributes do they have that aren't good for you? And how are you responding to them? Because 
there's a there's a family I can't remember their names and it's probably best that I don't and this will just highlight familiarity a little bit I think they had 13 children they've recently been arrested for you know seriously abusing these kids and I saw a really powerful image on the internet and they blanked out their faces fortunately but the mother the mother and father they all had hashtag t-shirts on and once so it said hashtag thing one hashtag thing two and that's how they referred to their children so i mean i'm t- i'm i'm going far cuz i want to illustrate sure. something and these kids were you know taken into care afterwards they're you know talk about trauma and all kinds of things their parents are in prison however they still want to see their parents okay because right. There is that familiarity with them and they will still be able to go in a place with them where it feels safe, even though you and I will look at it and go, there is nothing safe about that space. Does this explain Stockholm Syndrome? Yes. Ah, right. Yeah, exactly. So it's called, you create muscle memory for something and muscle memory can be very good, like riding a bike, driving a car you know, writing a book, whatever. And then there can be the other other muscle memory, which is kind of interesting for me to say at this point. I then had no muscle memory for really nice men who were emotionally evolved and very open and not putting my father down. I'm sure. just saying that that's what I really needed in my life. I need That was the bit I needed to really grow me and to really help me understand what love is. And when I met those guys, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I just had no muscle memory. So it's sort of like, imagine you knew two people and you said to both of them individually, you guys are perfect for each other. You really are perfect for each other. You've got such, such a, you'd have such a connection. And so they go out, they have a coffee and they come back and, you know, you say to one of them, so how did it go? And it's like, wow, he's amazing. Absolutely amazing. He's, you're right. He's got everything I need, but I just didn't feel it. I just didn't get it. It just didn't work for me. That was me. Mm, because it didn't have that, that familiarity. He didn't stimulate the suffering. Right. Oh God, that's so interesting. I'm having a, a relationship come to mind uh, where <laughs> if <laughs> I always struggle with how to talk about things with grace and a degree of anonymity. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't even think in terms of blame or judgment. It's just not the way that I operate. But I also, you know, you never know who could just be listening to your show. Just say it, Luke. Just say Yeah, it. right. Thank you. Well, we were talking you about... permission. We were talking about PC culture before, you know, and I'm like, I find myself being afraid to hurt people's feelings, but it doesn't matter. So I met someone and um, had not intended to have any sort of meaningful long-term relationship mm. with them because we we didn't live in close proximity, right? So I was like, well, this isn't going to go anywhere, but we can just have fun and it's cool and it was all on the up and up. And the minute I met this person, I felt this immediate sense of overwhelming comfort. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I could totally be myself. I wasn't hypervigilant. I was super relaxed and fun and me. And um, in retrospect, part of that was due to the fact that I, I guess I didn't have anything to lose. I, I didn't feel threatened or afraid yeah. because I didn't really see a future in it for a number of reasons. There was a, sort of a lack of alignment. There was the proximity and there were some other issues where I didn't consider it to be a potential for like a meaningful long-term relationship. But because I felt so comfortable and so at home, 
the relationship started to take on these higher degrees of intimacy and closeness. Mm -hmm. And I sort of started falling into this thing and she started falling in. And next thing you know, I have a relationship that's causing both parties a lot of discomfort and pain Mm -hmm. and bringing up all of this formerly hidden trauma and triggers. And I'm just feeling totally insane. Yeah. Uh, and couldn't, you know, to the point where I couldn't fix the insanity or figure it out. And I had to extricate myself after a number of months. Um, but after processing that experience, which was, uh, had some amazing points to it and was beautiful. And there was closeness and intimacy and love and all of that. But there was also a lot of very painful experiences. But I saw so many parallels to my mom. Mm-hmm. Like she had so many qualities of my mom, not necessarily my mom today in our relationship yeah. now, which is which is great, but as a kid, you know, things, there were elements of dysfunction within that relationship and a degree of enmeshment and just all sorts of things going on there that, um, that in retrospect, I don't think were the healthiest in terms of that dynamic. So I'm seeing like, wow, I'm dating my mom here. Mm -hmm. And the question I have for you is, you know, having some experience with that, I'm sure it's happened before if I were to kind of inventory Mm -hmm. and dig at past experiences. But I think that for me, because I just, thought, I didn't think, I just felt, wow, this is exciting. That's it? This you feels so comfortable. This feels yep. so good. It's yep. so free. And I just kind of like threw caution to the wind and just mm-hmm. went, you know what? This is totally insane, but I'm just going to go for it. Yep. And I really opened my heart and and made a, an attempt at making this thing work that had so many things going against it, you know, mm-hmm. um, the things that I just mentioned. And I, I think I, what I have been able to patch together is that I believe if I had not been physically intimate so fast. I mean, mm-hmm. and this happened like probably within three hours of meeting That's this person. That's pretty fast. Yeah. Some people, it's three dates, you know. Uh, or my, three months. Yeah, three months. I think I'm, as my thing now, I'm really happy with that. See the way how it worked have, out. you evolved. I have evolved. I've gone from three hours to three months. Fucking A, Luke. I think you get a prize for that. Well, and you know, and I have to say that the results that I'm getting as a result of being a, a, a bit more prudent, having a little more discernment and... Yeah honoring the other person's space and mm. where they're at and my own and trying to find a compromise and kind of a happy medium there with who wants to move how fast and all that. But in this situation, as I said, um, I didn't really think anything was going to come of it. So I just was like, this is fun. This feels amazing. I just went full on super fast. And I think in that, I became very confused by hormones and pheromones mm-hmm. and chemistry and and that familiarity to where it's like, even though it, there was points even early on where it felt Mm, painful. I just, I could not yep. help myself from proceeding. The suffering buttons were pushed, weren't they? Okay. Is that yeah. what it is? So is your I'm question to, is, because you've already answered it, but okay. I just want I just want you to ask me <laughs> well, one more time. <laughs> my, my question is, would, would taking things a bit slower and waiting um, help you to observe if, if, you know, this is really a good match for you, if it's just a trauma match, you know, is it just a trauma bond? Yeah. Or is it is there potential there where both people are kind of at a similar place in life in terms mm-hmm. of development and maturity and spiritual alignment, lifestyle alignment, all those things, which I kind of ignored and yeah, you know, and it wasn't in the end. Um, it was a you know fairly painful situation Time I think, for both is parties. Definitely helpful. Okay, to to slow slow it down definitely, but you. You gave me the answer for free within your statement. And that was beautifully illustrated. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You said, I didn't think. That's exactly my point. Right. See, what happens is we, bec- we go into the hypnotic loop. It's very familiar. 
as painful as it may be, it's still familiar. And some people thrive on the drama of it. I'm not saying you did, yeah. but, but I have. I've definitely <laughs> oh, thrived on the drama of it, right? I don't think I did. <laughs> well, I will only speak for myself. Yeah, yeah. But no, but I, you... I know that that's a, you know, a tendency that some have, yeah. Yeah, and, and you didn't think. And I know this sounds very simplistic, but we frequently don't think. We just react to things. So, so I was going to save this for later, but I'll do it now because I think it's the perfect time to say it. How does one avoid this? By thinking. By waking the hell up and going, wait a minute, what is this? What am I doing? Is this the same guy for the 10th time? Is this going to end the same way? Am I falling in love with my father, falling in love with my mother again? And I don't mean Freudian because I don't go there. But And think about this. This is the really interesting aspect of it is it is not within our society to want to make love to our mother or father, is it? So think about that aspect of it. So there you are dating your mother or father and you want to make love to them. That's, that's a really wow. big disconnect. That is a, a psychological sort of mismatch there that could cause a lot of confusion. Because yes. right when you said that, I'm thinking not even in the... Well, I mean, maybe in some <laughs> outer reaches of kink, people are like into... Yeah, and there's always stuff, that but space. Yeah. But that's not a very common... But no, it's not a societal thing that, you know, a, that we subscribe to making love all. to our mother or father. No, there's... That's why people need to avoid parent-child relationships because right. you don't want to make love to your mother or father, do you? Yeah, no. So when they go off the sex part of it, that is frequently embedded in there. You know that. So when you think, not going too deeply into this relationship, but if we could use it for a moment, um, so it was quite it was quite passionate and intense at the beginning, right? Within three hours. Yeah. Did that change? Actually, no. It didn't? It didn't change. Okay. Um, and I think because it didn't, it added to the confusion. Right. Because there was a certain degree of life experience on on my part and knowing what I want and don't want and knowing when I feel okay and I don't feel okay and when I'm emotionally healthy and mm-hmm. stable and when I'm not because I've had a lot of experiences where I haven't been. Um, I, I think because the passion remained, it, mm-hmm. it made it very difficult to actually see clearly and even to make a firm decision that it wasn't something that I wanted to proceed okay. with. Yeah. So you were downloading a shitload of dopamine, weren't you? Yeah. Sorry, oxytocin. That was yeah. what I was looking yeah, for. Yeah. Well, both I would say, yeah. Because, yeah. And um, this is really interesting because I wasn't going to bring this up, but it's, it's quite a good moment to say it. Um, I have a daughter and I've had this conversation with her and I think every woman needs to know this and their, their daughters need to know this too. One of the, the best reasons not to jump into bed with a guy or whoever quickly is because women tend to, more than men, download larger doses of oxytocin, which is, you know, lovingly called the love drug, and they get bathed in it. So just play out a little scenario, making it up or based on things I've heard. So you've got two people, they, they, get, they go to bed very early on, three hours, first date, whatever. And there's nothing wrong with it. I do not judge people, but it's what your body and your mind does to you that really messes you up. Certainly if you're a woman, a woman will download an, download an awful lot of oxytocin. So she's bathed in this wonderful drug, feeling really good about herself. And especially if she's had an orgasm. Okay, so that that's even more. Um, the next day, no text message, no phone call. Three days later, 
she's climbing the walls. Okay? Because she that drug does something to her that she begins to take it quite seriously because she's released this. You know, it's, it's made her a bit vulnerable, um, a bit more open, and it feels pretty damn good. So you want to do it again, don't you? And this guy is like, not, not liking her, but I'll get back to her. You know, I take it slow, that kind of thing. He's not, he didn't have the same download of oxytocin. So we, our daughters, our girlfriends, we all need to know this as women. That is the best reason not to jump into bed too quickly with a guy because it distorts your reality. And you said in a different way as a guy, you were saying, you know, the sex carried on. It was really good. I believe it was, yeah. And it, it it was confusing and dizzying and all of those things, yeah? So you weren't thinking too clearly, were you? Oh my God, no, I was terribly confused. Well, you were downloading all these wonderful chemicals, yeah, right? Yeah, it was like somebody took my brain out of my skull and injected mashed potatoes in there. Mm-hmm. I was just like, what the fuck? I was well, very perplexed um, on many occasions and in general throughout the whole thing. And I'm not saying women have more than men, but we tend to. So you can imagine how crazy women can get. Totally. And and I've also, I think... Um, because I've been doing a lot of inner work for a long time where I'm really opening my heart and becoming mm. um, or in, in, enlarging my capacity for intimacy and caring and openness and vulnerability. I mean, I'm always working on that, um, not even with that intention per se, but just, just how I live my life. I'm becoming more open. So when I was younger, it was much easier for me to compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. And as long as I felt that I was acting in integrity, I could sort of casually date and have fun for a long, long time. And it was great. And I didn't get terribly upset and generally speaking no one else did either because the rules of the game were um, stated and open and it was all good and I wasn't so susceptible to um, those attachments and things like that but as I've become more open I think what happened for me Michelle is this I've been doing all this work to open my heart. I mean, you know, Kundalini Yoga. You go to Tej's class. That's how we met. That shit opens your heart. I mean, it's weird when they say that in class. Oh, we're going to do this, you know, this mudra and this mantra and this breath work and whatever. And it's going to open your heart to the universal source of, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, right, whatever. But then you do it for a few years and that's actually what ends up happening. But I think what happened for me was that like... I, my capacity for intimacy and love to give that, to receive that just kept growing and growing and growing, but I didn't have a new framework or model by which to intelligently build a relationship. Mm-hmm. So I attempted to kind of use my old model, which is like, hey, it feels good. Just whatever. Three hours. Great. feels good. Who cares? Absolutely. Comfort don't zone. Know, yeah. Don't overthink it. But then here I am. I'm Mr. Like open heart now and mm. super vulnerable and can't compartmentalize anymore. So I'm using kind of the old foundation for the house, thinking I can put this new, beautiful, totally open, receptive castle on top of the old foundation. Mm. You know, so there's like a mismatch in the kind of, not to make it cold, but the strategy yeah. of how to build something. You have a blueprint. There's principles and two laws you follow. Two different architectures, yeah. Exactly. So I was kind of like, for a while, they're <clears throat> stacking two of them together. And it mm. was terribly confusing and yeah. painful for me uh, because I had arrived at a place in my life where I, I really wanted uh, to be in love and to be intimate and and really grow in that way myself, but had no idea how to do it. And hence, you know, took over a year and a half off to mm-hmm. recalibrate and try and understand what I Which just explained. Which is great, actually. It's really oh, good to do it's that. It's been amazing because I just very simply made a decision, well, I'm not going to use my old model of beginning yep. a relationship because I don't want the old results. I want something my new case and in fresh point. and... 
I want something true and meaningful and longstanding. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the methods by which I started relationships for the first half of my life or however long mm-hmm. that was, um, since 1986, technically, <laughs> did, didn't have the formula for that. They had yeah. the formula for having fun and as long as it lasts and then the wheels fall off and you know you both go your separate ways and try it again with someone else kind of thing. You know. Now, I don't know if you can relate to this, but um, and you've just, again, illustrated beautifully my point. I'm supposed to be interviewing you and then I, I always find myself like... <laughs> Rambling on and answering my own questions, but... um, But this is great for your listeners because thank you for making my job easier. And I love love hearing your journey because you you can articulate it so well and you've done so much work on yourself. I hate to say on yourself, but you've done so much work with yourself and and, which has brought you to this place. And that's why I want to capture this moment because you're doing exactly what I'm talking about. You have done, you continue to do is you started thinking you started waking up and going, this isn't working anymore. I'm dating the same person or whatever. I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again. Einstein said it. You know, if you continue to do what you've always done and continue to get what you've always got, it's the sure road to insanity. You smile because you know that, right? (laughs) The story of my life (laughs) in so many categories of life. Yes, yes. So you said enough. I'm not... And I I just did this too. And we had that conversation before we began to roll about how I'm in a great relationship at the moment. And my God, was it uncomfortable. No muscle memory for it whatsoever. And I'm not going to go too deeply into that. But I did the same thing. I woke up and said, what, what am I getting wrong? You know? And then I... My clients really helped me because I was hearing their stories and going there's a pattern here. You know, there's a really strong pattern here. And what I know about NLP, which I learned years ago, is how the brain loves familiarity. No matter how painful it is, it will go back there. You know, I mean, some people unfortunately are sexually molested by their their parent and they still have a bond with them because they've compartmentalized that part of it and just, you know, they focus on the stuff that is okay because they're still their father or they're still their mother or whatever. And we know this. We know this to be true. So you have done exactly that. You have woken up and said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to find a different way. I don't know if I know what that road is or what that way is. Yeah. But I'm going to explore. And through your exploration, I believe you gave yourself time and space to move away from the old patterns. So you created a new pattern you created a new muscle memory because you, the brain doesn't differentiate between what is real and vividly imagined. So I get the feeling, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, that you began to imagine a better way. You began to imagine and see the possibility, if not the reality, of what a good relationship for you at this moment in time would look like. Oh, I put a lot of energy into that uh, on paper, in my mind. Absolutely. You created it. Absolutely. And also, because I think so many of us think about what I want in a partner, what I deserve, like the kind of person I want, how I want to be treated, what what's my partner going to bring mm-hmm. to the relationship, right? And And there is that to be said. I mean, I definitely have preferences in terms of personality, someone's character, ethics, morals, values. I mean, yeah, I know what I want, but I really actually spent a lot of time looking at what I had to offer. Mm-hmm. And how much of a capacity for loyalty, um, trustworthiness, love, dedication, time, making time in my life, becoming less selfish, 
allowing space for someone else, like really, really looking at what I have to offer. Because I think in the past, um, I've sold myself short on what I was willing to accept from the other, but also on um, acknowledging and really capitalizing on and enhancing what I could bring to the table. Yeah. You know, and not really inventorying that to the, in a healthy way of self-esteem saying Mm -hmm. like, wow, shit, I have a lot to offer, especially at this point in my life. And and really, really deeply acknowledging that in a self-caring, self-loving way of like, you know, having struggled with so many self-esteem and self issues, mm-hmm. uh, self-worth issues in my life of really taking that time to look within and go, holy shit, you know, I've really become a pretty decent man. There's always room for improvement, but uh, I've come a long way and I have a lot to offer. And just acknowledging that and standing on that has been useful for me uh, to not be desperate, to not let my loneliness allow me to settle and to know that I really have something of value to offer and feeling really confident about that. And it's helped me to be uh, more discerning in my selection of who I want to date or even the interest in exploring someone. So it's become more of a matter of like, not am I good enough for them, but are they good enough for me? And I don't mean that in a not at all in I an arrogant way at all. It's just but I have the, standards for myself and I have standards for the other person, but yeah. the standards are built on like who, who am I at this point in my life and and what is my moral and my character standing that I can actually mm-hmm. bring to the table and know that I can bring and how available I can bring. Yeah, and would you agree that that is the perfect definition of conscious coupling? Because you're so awake, aren't you? Wow. Yeah. Here's the question I have for you. Okay. I've been talking way too much. Sorry, audience. Sometimes these conversations are very, you know, they're very personal. Like if you just came over and I was like, wow, I really want kind of a consult with you. This is what we would be doing. Well, then just carry on. I just happen to turn the mics on and make it a podcast. Because I think that the beauty of this is there's so many people out there that will resonate with your journey and my journey and you're still helping people and still enlightening them. That's, That's what matters, right? Sure. So my question for you is this, um, in regard to what I was describing earlier, where there is this intense feeling of comfort and familiarity mm-hmm. immediately within the first five minutes or the first yep. few texts or phone calls. Uh, and I've experienced that on a few occasions, but specifically uh, in the one I was describing earlier, where it's just like, oh my God, I can just totally be myself. And that's so freeing to not be hypervigilant and be worried if the other person is going to like mm. you or accept you if, if you really allow your full self and personality to be revealed. And in, in the current relationship, which I'm exploring, I have not felt that relaxed a lot of the time. Exactly. It feels foreign. Exactly. Because you don't have the muscle memory for it. That's yeah. my point. But I literally can't... Yeah. Fi- I mean, there's, I can't find anything nope. wrong with... I'm I mean, experiencing the same no thing. No matter how hard, you know, those fears of intimacy or being hurt or abandoned or whatever. I mean, I acknowledge those are there, but... Like there's literally no logical reason to yep. not feel totally safe and comfortable because I believe that I'm exploring with someone who is very trustworthy and very conscious and on a level where there's nothing to yep. worry about in that way, you know? But I find myself feeling sort of nervous and mm-hmm. hypervigilant might be an good over overstating it, but I definitely don't feel like, oh, I could just be whatever. No. Like I'm kind of on my best behavior. And I think this is great. If something gets a little, goes a little awry yeah. in a communication, I get pretty kind of upset and I mm-hmm. feel um, ill at ease as a result of any little conflict. I'm like, God, when am I just going to be able to relax? So when you're not following that, dysfunctional pattern and you're, you know, not a right or wrong. It's kind of not a duality thing, but let's just say you're doing something new and you're really conscious, you know, consciously relating, as you said, is it normal that you 
will feel uncomfortable at times. Totally. This is why I'm so excited to hear this. Okay. This is exactly right. Okay. And and I'm I'm lit up about it because I'm doing the same thing in a relationship that I'm in. I hope he's not listening. There have been times that I've been lying in bed going, I got to get out of here. I just can't do this. And then I, I stop myself because I go into this crazy place, which I'm sure we all can relate to the crazy place. And I go, but there's nothing wrong. <laughs> right. Everything's great. What is your problem? And I have pinpointed it. And it's what I said earlier. I don't have the muscle memory for it. I don't have that, that comfort zone yet. And that's the word, yet. I am creating it. I am building it. And I'm allowing it. Because like you, I have decided to open my heart, whatever that means, bring it on. Hallelujah, sister. And Kundalini has certainly helped me do that after three years of practicing that. And I was like, I get it now. No matter what that brings, I am going to go in open-hearted. And it is amazing what happens when one does that because it does come back to you. But what I've done is I've had to power through. I've chosen to power through those moments that you're talking about where it's like, this feels really uncomfortable. I could just run out the door right now and never come back and wouldn't know what I'm going to say to this person to explain it. But I, this doesn't feel right. But that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's the really exciting thing is it's not that old behavior. It's not that old memory. It's not that old comfortable discomfort that you can fall back into, right? It's something new. It's something much better for you. It's something that you're moving towards that is growing you, opening your heart even more. Does that make sense? Oh my God, yeah. And yeah. that's why I think that is brilliant. And I'd almost like you to stay in that place a bit longer, you know? Well, I have have no, more of those experiences? Yeah, I have no choice, uh, seemingly, <laughs> you know? It's just, okay, here I am. And not that it's that way all the time, but there, there yeah. are definitely moments where I'm yeah. like, God, why can't I just chill? I'm... I am so used to in my life from all the meditation and all the mm. stuff I do. I mean, I don't feel in that fight or flight, nervous, vigilant state very often unless something's wrong. You know, yeah. oh shit, I'm, I just found out I'm living next to these two cell towers. Then I'm like, Ugh. oh, this is danger, danger. I got to get out of here. You know, you, you go check the mail and it's like IRS on the return address. Uh, there are those little triggers, but I move through them quite quickly because of the work that I've been doing. But when it, this is sort of like exposure therapy. Yeah, in a but, way, you know? but it is frightening because it's new, and and right. a lot of times new things we don't have the knowledge for it or the memory for it, so we do fight, flight, freeze. And you know the other two, which I've mentioned to you before, are fornicate and feed. So again, a lot of relationships, in inverted commas, there will be a lot of fornication, sex that isn't necessarily for the right reasons, but that's a whole other podcast that we won't go into now. That is one of the things that happens to the amygdala when it gets lit up, when it's confronted with something that is new and frightening and scary. And you're describing something new and frightening and scary. Right. But it doesn't always have to be a bad thing. It can, al it can I don't, also be a I good thing. I don't frame it as bad. I just... To me, it's like what you said in, in your exploration of your relationship. I've already made a decision that I'm moving forward with my heart open yeah. no matter what. Yeah. Period. I will not shut down. I just, I'm not just not having it. Do you have this, these moments where you kind of then power through that and you turn around and go, oh, this is amazing. Oh my God. Yeah. All yeah. the time. Not constantly. Isn't that cool? I yeah, just constantly. love that. It's, yeah. Constantly. And it's like, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad I carried yeah. on. 
And it's something that I learned too, sexually, if we're going to talk about that for a moment, which is one of my favorite subjects, Yes, is that even when there are times you don't feel like making love to your partner, do it anyway. And I know that sounds counterintuitive to some people. They're like, oh no, I don't feel like it. I've been there. And it's just been amazing. It's For me, it's been absolutely amazing because it's taking me down a road that I've surprised myself. I've, again, powered through something that was blocking me. And I was, it's not always about finishing, by the way. It's about having that intimacy with another person, that closeness, that sensuality. And I, every single time I come out feeling better, and that's kind of new for me because I used to be quite, you know, black and white about it. No, I don't feel like doing it, so I'm not going to do it. Right. But there's so much within that space when you do do it with somebody and you aren't too sure about it. And I think what really happens, I believe what really happens is they reach out to you more powerfully and take you with them if you have the kind of relationship that we're both talking about now, which I hope people have experienced at least once in their life, because I think it's really important to have experienced that at least once in your life. But it brings me to a really good... um, topic that I would like to talk about today. You mentioned it in the beginning about finding our voice um, within intimacy. And I'm a woman, um, so I have a slightly different perspective, I would think, um, than you do in that I've worked with a lot of women and men, and I find that women tend to struggle a bit more with this concept of asking for what they want or being verbal in an intimate uh, situation. And I was raised Catholic and went to mass six days a week until I was about 18 years old. So it was pretty heavy duty. And there was a lot of sexual shame. Um, And this is a big thing that I've been working on with my clients. Uh, The irony in that. Anyway, carry on. No, no. (laughs) Jump in at any time because I I love it. I'm just thinking about the the, uh, Catholic church, you know, and some of the issues that they've had. Yeah. And... I've experienced some of those, but again, yeah. that's a, that's another yeah, podcast. totally other other five hour podcast. No, carry on. But you know, I'm not putting down the Catholic Church, but for me, it was not a good experience in any way, and um, so it left me with a lot of sexual shame. And you, the only reason you make love or have sex is to procreate, and all of those things. So I never had a voice, you know. And um, again, I'm going to sidebar to something else. Um, before the 18th century, I'm sure you're aware of this, um, there, there were marriages of reason, they were called. And reason marriages of reason were things like, I want you to marry my daughter because you have two pigs and a cow, you know, and she's going to have a good life because, you know, you have prosperity, you will become more wealthy and you will give her a good life or dowries and things like that. It wasn't until the 18th century where we came up with this concept of romanticism. It's fairly new, actually. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. And it comes from sort of European poets, you know, writing these beautiful uh, sonnets, poems about love and how it lights up my heart and all of this. We, you and I, are products of romanticism, not of marriages of reason, because we don't live in that society. We don't live in arranged marriage societies, which still exist, of course. And they can be based on how many animals a person has and things like that. So what that has created, and this is kind of important or quite important to all of it, is that we believe that, that love is intuitive. This is what romanticism created. It's all about 
intuition, feeling it, just sensing it, which, which I believe, well, I know to believe is where the term chemistry comes from. We had chemistry. We didn't have chemistry. I felt it with that person. I didn't feel it with that person. Now, I don't think either, I think those are polar opposites, by the way, they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. And I don't think either of them are good. So my goal is to bring people more to the center because I think there is a lot to be said about um, marriage or coupling to be business involved in it. Because come on, let's be realistic. People buy houses together. They have kids together. They buy cars. They set up businesses, whatever. And then they want to go into the space of it being romantic. You know, Romance doesn't, doesn't sit very well when you got to take the, the trash out and change dirty diapers and things like that. You know, you kind of struggle with that concept a bit. So we bring all of this stuff together in one space and expect to still go to bed with that person at the end of the day and have them turn us on or, or light us up or whatever. Is this making sense yeah, to you? Yeah, totally. So I would like to find that space in the middle of those two, not a marriage of reason and, and not a romanticism where it's all based on intuition, which brings me to finding the voice. So I and many people that I've interviewed will tell me when, when I finally get them to admit to it is they don't speak in bed. They don't speak when they're making love, not necessarily in bed, but when they're, when they're really intimate with another person, which kind of blows my mind because you are so close. So you're sometimes penetrating the other person and you can't speak to them. You can't. Now, I'm not saying it's not always about talking dirty to them or, or doing, you know, asking what they want for dinner or whatever, but it's, language is so powerful and communication is so powerful as we talked about earlier. And you can, we automatically have hypnotic language in our language and to use it for the good of the relationship is even more exciting. So I'm not clear yet, but I'll make this even more clear, like embedding commands. So I'm working on this new product. I don't like the word product, but I'll use it for the sake of the conversation where I actually know, because I have firsthand experience of it, we won't go too deeply into that, of I have, um, I know about how to help a man become harder to last longer to, to make love better because he feels better about himself. Okay, I'm listening. And so much of this, <laughs> I know, I really get men's attention when I talk about <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, I just, I was listening, but I was like, <laughs> ding, 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 <laughs> high alert, taking notes, okay. I have men lining up to buy vouchers, spaces on my courses for, for their wives and girlfriends. But it's not rocket science, okay? It's really not. And I didn't think it was anything unusual. It's the feedback that I've got over the years because I was married and divorced and I've dated and I've dated younger men. I've dated older men. I've dated men my age. I've got, you know, bits of experience here and there. And I'm talking about, you know, within a, within a relationship, not, not just, this isn't for pickup artists. This is not a pickup artist kind of thing. But you can talk to somebody and embed words. Don't you love that it's embed? Right, in bed right. and in bed. Yeah, right. I just thought of that one. Actually, I hadn't thought about that. You can embed suggestions and commands. They're called embedded commands. Yeah. Into so you're the talking way about you NLP, talk. NLP stuff. Yeah, now. this yeah. is very much uh, about. See, NLP is very much linked to a hypnosis. They're they're sort of bed buddies. I'm going to use lots of these terms now, and um, 
it's the way you talk to people that you can get them to think about things differently. And some people think it's quite manipulative, but I never go into the negative space with it. I always go into the positive space with it. So I don't see it as manipulation. Well, it depends on your intention. I mean, you go to a exactly. Tony Robbins event, he's using NLP on you the whole time, but exactly. it's, it's, An for embedded your, commands. it's for your benefit. He wants to sell you some more shit, you know, yeah. at the end of the course or whatever, but yeah. There's... Well, Tony and I were trained by the same man, uh, Dr. Richard Bandler, right, who okay. created co-created NLP. Those two doctors, uh, John Grinder and Dr. Dr. Richard Bandler. So we we are around similar right. times. We're to trained me, by the I'm same like, guy. Please use NLP on me. I need yeah. to be uh, coerced into helping myself. You know. So I think if the intention is pure, which in the context of what you're talking it about is. now, it's to have more sexual fulfillment, intimacy, love, longevity. So yeah. So so I, I'll use a couple that I've had recently as an example, just very briefly. But it's it's quite an intense one. They both cheated on each other. She cheated first with a younger man. I'm just setting this up a little bit because it went, you know, it went quite deep. And he found out about it. So he cheated on her with a younger woman. And uh, this, this carried on. They have kids. You know, so I was coming as the voice of the children because the children don't have a voice in a situation like this. So I, I say to couples, I say, I will continue to be the voice of your children because they, they need to have a voice in this. And they know, they know what's going on. I know a lot of people out there just FYI think their kids know nothing and they're hiding all this stuff from them. Don't delude yourself. My kids knew more than I did about my marriage problems, you know, and they sense it, you know, they just pick up on these things. Anyway, another podcast. So we have this couple, young couple, two young kids, professional doing really well. And she is like, the, the marriage is a car crash and she knows it. She knows she started it, you know, and she's now wanting to get back with him, but he can't get it up. She discovers Viagra in his bedside table. None have been used. So she kind of thinks, oh, well, that's okay. At least he's not messing around with somebody else. Whatever, whatever. Lots of mind reading going on here, which is, by the way, very dangerous. No one's really trained to mind read well. So I would step away from that. So they, she came to me and I worked with her for a few months and uh, we did what I'm about to talk about or what I am talking about already. And, I, you know, some people could say, well, just go and demand sex or tell them you're ready for it. And I know that I haven't been and I know I've cheated on you, but I've changed my mind and all of those things. No, I don't, again, I don't believe in going through the front door. I think you go through the side door or the back door and you get a much better result. So I got them, this is not profound, but I got them to start dating again, going out once a week. And they couldn't talk about their children. They couldn't talk about financial problems or anything. It was to reconnect with each other as if they've just met and to remember the reasons why they fell in love with each other. And they dressed up. One week he chose where to go. One week she chose where to go. They couldn't sit and look forward. So this is the time you don't sit and look forward. No theater, no movies, none of that stuff. Just them, no other people, uh, no other friends at the table. And... um to change their language. So I was only working with her. So I got her to change her language and to just start dropping words into the conversation. And again, it's not rocket science. It was words like deep and soft and orgasmic. This food is orgasmic. You know, where, where focus goes, energy flows, right? So she was getting this man to gently focus on these lovely things that we do in sex, that we do when we make love. But they didn't make love. That was part of it. They didn't make love. They didn't go home and make love. And I got, you know, she lightly would kiss him on the cheek, but not go in for a full-on kiss. 
And sometimes they would just, she would grab his hand and do a little dance in the kitchen when they were making dinner for the kids and things like that. And they slowly, slowly got back together. But the most powerful thing was the the language. And she began to understand how to use it. So from that, well, the good news is they're back together. Um, And this is not boasting about me. This is, I, I just assist people on their journey and they commit to it or not. And she said, it's, uh, we're like two peas in a pod now and it's really great. And he's throwing the Viagra away and he's got a heart on and, you know, everybody's happy. Because remember, it's a win-win situation. It's not just for him. He feels really good about himself. And this is, this is what I would like women to really think about because we have this incredible ability to do this for a man. It comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of compassion. And it's about, wouldn't it be great if we could make our partner harder? and last longer just by the way we talk to him and putting ideas in his head. So it's, I see it as a three-pronged thing. And it's not just within marriage, it's within any relationship. You do it uh, outside of the bedroom. You do it sort of as a matter of course through the day or when you're on a date with that person or whatever. Uh, driving in the car, you just say things. And it's conscious. You need to think about it. And I, 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 on my course, I will get more deeply into this. Forgive the pun. <laughs> but it's really tailored to the needs of the couple. So I can't sit here and give you blanket statements for everybody. Sure. But as I'm saying this, I'm sure people are thinking about what they could say to their partner. So it's in a non-physical setting, you, you start doing it. Um, it's great in foreplay. Fantastic in foreplay. And you really literally pump the guy up you know, by what you say to him and how amazing he is and how he makes you feel. And he will begin to respond physically, this this much I know. And then you do it also within the act of making love. And the whisper is beautiful, isn't it? Somebody whispering in your ear I mean, you're so close. I don't know about you, but I tingle when somebody whispers in my ear. I, oh, I know yeah. I'm super sensitive. I've been told this. I, again, I, I don't have anything to compare it to. But it is such a beautiful way to build up. <laughs> I can build up. <laughs> you're, like, you're so NLP'd out. I it just am. Keeps, it just I keeps, am. They just keep popping out. It just out. keeps coming out. Uh, it does. It keeps ejaculating <laughs> across the room as I talk. <laughs> Yeah, the energy just keeps rising up higher and higher until it finally erupts. Does this make sense to you? Does this this make sense to you when I say this? Yeah, yeah, it does. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. It's time to let you in on a little secret, and that is the secret to my healthcare regimen. Now, in addition to eating a clean diet, getting lots of sunshine, taking saunas, red light therapy, all of that... What I put on my skin is really the secret to it all. And I got to tell you, at 48 years old, at the time of this recording at least, uh, the thing I get complimented the most on is my skin. People always say, dude, you're 48. What do you put on your skin? I say, Alatura Naturals, straight up. Uh, Alatura was founded by my buddy Andy Nilo, who incidentally was a guest on this here show way back on episode 18. So if you haven't heard that, definitely go back and hear his story. It's uh, it's an amazing story. He got hit by not one, but two cars, got completely tore back. His face was just absolutely trashed. And so he began this obsessive journey of putting together the most natural, organic, nutrient-rich skin products imaginable. I mean, he is completely 
He's like as obsessive about stuff as I am. And if you listen to my show, you know I'm hardcore. So I use Alatura Naturals for the anti-aging, uh, brightened complexion, detoxification of the skin, removal of uh, blemishes, and just hyd- hydrating the skin. So my favorite products are the night cream. I use it every single night habitually. And also the face lotion every morning. That's the first thing that goes on the grill after the shower. And then periodically for detoxing and just toning the skin, his clay mask, which is like his first kind of flagship product. So I definitely recommend Alatura Naturals. You can go to alaturanaturals.com and enter the code LIFESTYLIST to save 20% off and get free shipping in the US. So if you want young, beautiful, hydrated, natural skin and you don't want to put toxins on your body, which are going to go right into your bloodstream, by the way, definitely try alaturanaturals.com. Again, enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout and save 20% and free shipping in the US. It's a really fat discount. Their stuff is not cheap because it is really the best. And you'll see when you get over there, read the testimonials. They have like 1,300. They got 4.9 out of 5 stars. Like this is legit. I'm not the only one that's raving about these products. So get over to alaturanaturals.com. And now back to the interview. As an example, what are some of the words or embedded commands that a woman could use? Uh, well, you want to think about, you know, it, it could be words like, seriously, just very simple words, like within a conversation, within a sentence, use the word hard. It not relating to the man at all. Yeah. You know, you could say um, this, this uh, maybe you're at dinner or something and you might talk about a piece of the food being really hard, but punctuate it. You know what I mean? Put some accent on it and make it a little bit more, um, um, sorry, I've lost the word for the moment. You know, it, it goes back to the, the, the great communication where it's physiological, change, you know, be fit, change the physiology of it, you know, maybe lean in a bit, change the tonality of it, maybe drop it in. I have quite a hypnotic voice and I know how to use it and I do. And anybody can do this. They can change the tonality of their voice and they can talk at a deeper register, you know. So um, this 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 nut on my plate is very hard, but it's okay. And punctuate it, you know, put a little stop after it. He might start to pick up some of these things and just say, really? Oh, you know, I'm just, just having a bit of fun. I didn't realize I was saying those things. I believe in covert hypnosis. I really do. Um, you could say things like soft, even, you know, um, deep. You can use the word penetrate. You can use the word orgasm. I I love food and I really have quite, with well, a nose like this, I have a great sense of smell and I have great taste buds. So I would go, this food is really orgasmic, you know, and I'll make a, you know, emotion with it and roll my eyes or, or something like that. And you're punctuating that. And then you move away from it. This is not meant to be obvious, okay? This is just the beginning of it. You, but it's conscious. It's, it's about thinking again, because NLP, Dr. Richard Bandler explained to us, the definition of NLP is thinking on purpose. That's what it is. Because what we, do in, what we do in NLP is we use hypnosis to take people into a trance-like state to help them fix the things that aren't working for them. That's the beauty of the, you not thinking, you allowing yourself to go into this trance. But within that, we set up mindsets 
and strategies and behaviors so that you do think on purpose when you are awake and alert, which goes back to conscious coupling. That's why this is also beautifully intertwined because this is how the brain works. This is what the brain loves. It loves familiarity. So look at your situation with your partner and go, is this familiarity toxic for me or is it good for me? Right? Yeah, absolutely. If it's not good, I'm going to start thinking on purpose, right? I'm going to start making some decisions for myself that I don't mean to like kick them to the curb, throw them under the bus, whatever, but start making better decisions even within that existing relationship. Okay. If they're pushing buttons that are old historical buttons that have a lot of suffering to them, you can find ways and strategies, which is the kind of thing I do with couples and and single people as well, to avoid those pitfalls so that you don't go into that space again. So I'm not saying divorce your partner, give up on your current situation, but just wake up. Wake up and begin to consciously become aware of how you are coupled with this person and then take it into the bedroom. You know, find your voice. There is no shame in asking for what you want. And this goes back to romance and intuition. We've fallen into this having a romantic relationship with the one, which really bothers me, by the way. Sorry, personal thing here, but I don't believe there is the one, okay? Love is a verb. It's not a noun. And we need to do things with that person. There's not just the one that comes into our life and they fall through the ceiling and that's it. We're done. They understand us. They forgive us everything. No, I don't believe that. So this again goes back to romantic love. And what we do is we fall into this, they should just get me. They should just know to move a little bit to the right. Oh, that's it. Or a little bit to, no, that's not it. Say that to them. Really. Don't make people mind read in the bedroom. (laughs) Oh, this is so good. What you want them to do to give you an orgasm and then be disappointed when you don't get it. And that to me, that to me makes no sense. Not the not talking. I, I don't get why people don't get that. Ask for what you want in a kind and generous way. Okay, not so the guy or the woman feels like they failed. It's about helping them. You're helping them to give you a better result. And you're a guy, maybe you can verify this or not, but every single guy that I've spoken to about this concept will say to me, nothing turns me on more than being able to give my woman an orgasm. Oh, yeah, it's the ultimate. It is. It's like and nirvana, and right? The, yeah. And that said, uh, it is also sort of um, deflating when you can't seem to get that done. And sometimes it is a matter of the woman not feeling comfortable to be able to communicate what she wants or not feeling like you'll be receptive to that. And also, having had a couple of different partners now over the years... um, what turns one woman on doesn't necessarily do anything for the next one. I mean, Absolutely. each woman, true, and I'm sure men too, are each a completely unique um, flower, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's unwise as a, as a male uh, partner to think that what worked last time is going to work this time, not only with a prior partner, but with this partner too, because yeah. there's so many subtleties to mood and, and um, environment and variation and where they're where they are in their cycle and all sorts of different factors yeah. that are going to determine 
how they want to be touched and when and, and all of that. So I'm yeah. I'm like more, I'm becoming more and more um, not only open to, but just realizing how important it is to be able to communicate these things and just kind of be adults and and not get your ego involved and feel yeah. like, you know, I'm sure women experience this too, but I mean, I can only speak for myself. As a guy, when you feel like you aren't accomplishing something, it's really deflating. Yeah, that's, you're, that's my point. Yeah, if you're totally deflating in more, than, more Thank ways Thank you. Than you're one. doing it now <laughs> and think go. how that affects you there we go. physically, yeah, but it's right? Like, it, that's it, my point. I mean, it's it's actually a scientific fact that when a when a, ma- a male bodied person accomplishes something and succeeds, it builds their testosterone. Thank you. you know? This and, is exactly where I'm going with. Yeah. This. So if you're especially in in um, the context of a sexual encounter and you're you're spinning out mentally because you feel like you're failing because there hasn't been ample clear communication mm-hmm. about what the p- person wants or they are communicating and you're taking that as an insult that I'm doing it wrong when they're just saying, hey, a little more to the left or whatever. Yeah. Um, Help the guy out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here, here here's... Okay, Help the so, chick out, right? Yeah. So this, so this is all good and healthy and I can see how this is useful. What about in um, interactions where, you know, everyone has their preferences? Um, for me, I'm quite verbal typically mm-hmm. in sex. Yeah, uh, it's me just, too. I've, just, I've learned that the hard way. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's no accident. I'm a podcaster yeah. and I talk for hours a day for a living. But um, I know that it, with some women that they're not that verbal mm-hmm. and they're kind of like, dude, sh- like stop talking. I'm in the I'm in the zone here. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe, you know, like a woman just might not be verbal at all. That's not what turns her on. She just wants to be quiet and just to have the experience and stay present with that. But to apply what you're talking about where they're, the woman is stating their needs or they're using this kind of these embedded commands about, you know, um, how wet something is or hard something is or whatever. Yeah. What does a woman do if she doesn't particularly like to verbally communicate when being intimate? Well, play this podcast for her, for starters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, that is the learning curve of it all because... The same works for me. You know, I sometimes will talk way too much. And then I'm like, okay, now pull yourself back. It's not needed. And I think that's just trial and error. I really, and that's learning the other person. And there's nothing wrong with that. But by you talking and it being okay, she will probably feel much more comfortable eventually to talk more to you. Because maybe she's just never had that that space to do that you know, and it goes right back to the beginning of this podcast, communication and connection, you know, and that is the ultimate. Think about it. That is the absolute ultimate. You're coupled, you're physically coupled and you're communicating with each other through your body and through your voice. I mean, it just doesn't get much better than that, does it? And something, um, there's a couple of things that that I want to branch in because you've, you've reminded me. So I hope we have a bit of time. Is oh that, yeah, we do. And I, again, I said, at the very top of this, a lot of things I'm going to say are quite simplistic. So you're like, yeah, okay. But they really work. I know if I say to a guy when he's inside me, oh my God, you're bigger than the last time. You're harder in this. He, he becomes that. Because, and this is, this is the point I really want to make. Sex is not something that happens between two people's bodies. It happens in their minds. Sex is in the mind. I'm a sapiosexual person. And I think just about everybody is. Some people will say no, or they'll say, what is that? And I'll just give a brief explanation. I need to be turned on by somebody's mind before I can be turned on by their body. 
And I think that is something that has evolved in my life. I wasn't like that when I was 20. It's quite, there's a lot of lust when you're that age and, you know, you're doing things. But I really need the guy to turn my mind on before I can even imagine going anywhere else. And the perfect way of, of illustrating this is porn, which as we know is really, really out of control in our society at the moment. I mean, I don't know the statistics for it, but it's pretty, pretty heavy. And that, that person isn't even in the room, but they can turn you on, can't they? You're not even having the physical aspect of it, but it's your mind that is creating the orgasm by watching and listening to that other person. Yeah? Yes, indeed. Because a lot of times they will talk. You know, the women would go, oh, yeah, they, you know, I don't know. If, I don't watch <laughs> porn. How would I put that's a joke? I do. I have to. It's part of my research. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you see my point. It, it happens in the mind. And the other way to illustrate this is, so there you are. You're, you're in this relationship and, you know, you, you turn each other on from the start. You know, you really fancy each other. You know, he's got a great body. She's got a great body and all that. And then one day you just don't fancy that person anymore, but nothing has changed physically. They're the same, aren't they? But it's in the mind that it has changed. And that's why this embedding commands and things is so powerful and works so well is because you are going into the mind sexually, turning the mind on sexually, getting the mind to focus on me being harder, longer, stronger, deeper, wetter, whatever, you know, all of those things. It's all taking place in the mind because the mind then gives the message to the body to become wetter, to become harder, to become stronger, to go longer. That just makes yeah. perfect sense oh, to me. It does. Absolutely. And I'm thinking about moments where uh, performance has failed <laughs> as a man, you know, and you're just like, what, I mean, especially when you're young, when you're first starting to yeah. explore and you feel insecure and you get caught up in your head and then you there lose you your There you go. Erection. You said it. Yeah. And it's it's just like, literally, you could be with the most beautiful woman ever. And like two seconds ago, you were totally turned on and it was all happening. And then you get up in your head about whatever thing and yeah. your brain then, like, as you said, sends that signal to your body and your body's like, nope, not having sex now. Well, and so it goes, it goes both ways too. It does. It's like the mind can sort of spin out on something and... um or, you know, there's just a moment where something doesn't work or you're flipping around and, you know, Absolutely. just it gets awkward for a second and then your brain spins out and then it kind of, the the passion dies because the mind has short-circuited on some nuance or got triggered by something or whatever. Well, I you remind me, I, re, I remember very vividly, uh, not that long ago, well, so in the old later stages of my life, I was with a guy and we were going to make love the first time and he literally said to me, I probably won't be able to get it up. I rarely do the first time. And I was like, challenge, love it. <laughs> Bring it on. Oh, man. And guess what? <laughs> he did. He did get a heart on, quite a good one, because it's the way I spoke to him. Because And touch. Oh, my God. People, people just underestimate touch. And not touching, you know, the, the obvious places. You know, it could be the back of somebody's knee or the, the, the inside of somebody's arm and things like that. We, we leave so much on the table that we don't explore with a person. But I spoke to this guy in a way and in a certain language and in a certain tonality. 
and coupled with touching. So it was the absolute total communication. And he got hard and everything else worked. And do you think he felt good about himself after that? Absolutely. And do you think I felt good about myself after that? Yes. Absolutely. So that's what I mean. It's a win-win situation. And it doesn't take much. And it's absolutely free. You don't have to have apparatus or special things or spend thousands of pounds, money, dollars going to on vacation somewhere just to get the person in the mood. No, it's what you create with them in that intimate space. And it's about allowing oneself to open up literally and metaphorically and ask for what you want and tell them how amazing they are. And even if they're not feeling amazing, tell them how amazing they are and they begin to feel more amazing like this guy. And that's why it's the perfect illustration of it. He was anxious. He was all up inside of his head and he wasn't sure whether he could perform, which I hate that word, by the way. It's not a performance, right? And you don't always have to finish, do you? It's sometimes just fun doing it. And he was talking himself out of being able to even respond to me in a sexual way. But once I changed the energy and changed his mindset and started talking to him in a different way, he got harder, he got stronger, he went longer, and we had a fantastic time. And that is what it's all about, I think. But you got to talk to people. You've got to communicate with them and not expect this romantic intuition to kick in and they mind read you and they get it right. And you know, I, I, I've, I've heard and I've been there myself. You go, oh, that wasn't very good sex. Well, you're part of that too. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, I like how like right. blame the other person. No, he right. wasn't a very good lover. Well, what about you, love bug? You know, right. you've, you've got some responsibility to that as well. Did you ask for what you want? Did you make the guy feel good about himself? Did you create a safe space for him where if it didn't go well, he wouldn't feel bad about himself? Because, you know, that's, that's okay that's too. Yeah, because sometimes it's just lying next to a person and being held. That is exactly what you. You know, want, it's funny. It? I was thinking. I was thinking about that uh, when you mentioned the word performance and how that's not. It's it's probably not a good one to use. No. You know, especially. But we use it all the time. Yeah, but I was thinking about that um, a couple of days ago in terms of you know because a man's got to get hard in order for intercourse to happen. Um, however, a woman doesn't have to get wet because you can get that wetness from somewhere else. You know, you you can't. I know. Uh, you cannot. Um, squirt a little bit of hard into your penis, but you can squirt a little wetness into or on a vagina. And I was thinking about that. I thought, God, women kind of have it easy in a sense because no guy is ever going to be like rolling their eyes going, oh, geez, she didn't even get wet. You just fix it. You know, you remedy that. And, you know, obviously the ideal situation is you're turning her on enough and she feels safe and open enough Mm -hmm. to become naturally wet. But it, you know, it doesn't always happen. But I was like, God, that kind of sucks being a guy. It's like, you can't just fix that if that happens, you know, because whatever. But we menstruate and have babies, okay? so No, it all evens out. Yeah, (laughs) and you have multiple (laughs) orgasms, more easily accessible. we get menopause and all that stuff. I think nature did a great job of evening (laughs) it all out, trust me. And I'm very happy to be uh, situated in a male body this time around for a number of reasons. But um, yeah, it just crossed my mind a couple of days ago. And I think think what's, what's important there that you said is just, especially as you're just getting to know someone to get comfortable is, is the communication and also 
not having the pressure around the sense of performance or as you said, completion, all that stuff. What's that all about? Yeah. You know? um, It's easy to get caught up in that and be disappointed or be in fear that the other person is disappointed, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think in the communication to be compassionate and understanding and not make it so serious. Yeah. I think at times we often make sex this do or die it's thing. It's a performance. Yeah, where right? it's just like, And you we know, didn't perform. We didn't get the applause at the end. Yeah, and sometimes you engage and, you know, you like one person just gets tired or they're, no matter how much they love that person or turn on by that person, they're, they're just not turned on in that particular moment for whatever reason. It's just, you know, whatever. They got shit on their mind and it, it doesn't well, exactly. have to be like a huge... Uh, a huge exactly. disappointment or ordeal, you can just hopefully at some point just kind of laugh about those things and, you know, resume with your cuddling and pillow talk and whatever other kind of intimacy feels really good as well. And, you know, from a woman's perspective, we don't get erections, but, you know, how come with the same partner I can get wet one day and not the next day? Because it's in my mind. I probably am very distracted the day I'm not getting wet and I'm somewhere else and I'm not present. And it, and, and it works the same for a man. So this is my thing. You know, people, people think it's all physical or it's predominantly physical. It isn't. If you're not in that space in your mind, it's probably not going to work. And if your partner isn't feeling like they're in that space in their mind, then help them. Love it. Bring them into that space, right? Make them feel so amazing about themselves. You know, it's free. It's it's easy. It's I'm doing workshops on this. If anybody is interested in it, and um, it's a generous thing to do. And not I don't ever like to go in with the intention of receiving to give to receive. But my God, what you receive is tenfold, isn't it? Yeah, and you can't I mean, put a price on it. Yeah, like you said, um, bringing pleasure to someone that you care about, and also achieving a higher degree of connectedness where you really feel yeah. safe and connected is priceless. And um, and what I'm discovering is it's sometimes kind of has to be earned. You know, it's not just yeah. an automatic all the time. And as we discussed earlier in the conversation, sometimes when it is an automatic and it just all clicks, it's not necessarily an indicator of something that's going to have longevity and, you know, um, have a... Um, ultimately be fulfilling and long lasting. My favorite story around this is I had a client that I taught this to and she was dating this guy and she said, sorry, it's just a term that is quite whatever. It describes it best. She said, he's very vanilla. And I was like, okay. And she, you know, she liked to play and do things. And I was like, okay. So we, so I taught her this, this stuff and the language. I wouldn't call it the language of love because that's a whole other thing, but, but the sort of uh, finding one's voice uh, within um, making love. And so she she did it with this guy. And she came back to me and said, it is so exciting to watch this man just discover his sexuality. Because he's like 50 some years old. He's been married twice. And he married his mother both times, bringing it right back to the beginning of this. And there was no great sexual intimacy within either of his marriages. And she is helping him discover that, which she didn't even mean to because she wasn't aware of it at the time. She thought, well, he's just quite conservative. But it wasn't that at all. It's not that he's conservative. He just didn't know. He didn't know what his body could do. He didn't know how good he could feel. He didn't know the power of touch, the power of communication. And at first, she started talking to him and he didn't reciprocate, like you were saying in a slightly different way. And now he does. And now he's found his voice because it's not always the woman. 
I know a lot of men, when I have this conversation with them, they start looking down at their shoes, you know? And then their wife or girlfriend will come up to me later and go, yeah, you really hit a nerve there. He's uh, He doesn't talk and he's now thinking about talking, you know? Right. At least planting the seed and hopefully that's what we're doing today in some people's minds that they they begin to explore, just gently go into that space. You know these words, right? You know these words to, to, that, that resonate with you for that person that you're with that feel authentic to you that you could say to them, you know, to get them in the mood for it. So this guy is now blossoming. Their relationship is blossoming because he is like, can we try this? You know, they're talking about each other's fantasies now. He wouldn't even go there. He didn't even have a fantasy or didn't think he had a fantasy. We all do, right? But he didn't think he had a fantasy. And that's what I love about this stuff because it really does help people. I think none of us should die not having explored our sexuality to the nth degree. You know, I really do. I think it's such a beautiful thing that we have and there should be no shame within it or around it. And if we agree as a couple, whoever that couple is to go into that space together, and communicate with each other and help that other person find their voice if they haven't found it yet. That's what real intimacy is. I love that. So timely also. (laughs) I want to talk about something, um, sort of the converse of something we were talking about earlier. So when you are entering into a relationship and there is this exhilarating uh, sense of comfort due to the familiarity and you have like the mommy or daddy kind of issues, mm-hmm. elements that come into it, okay? And so if we're entering into a relationship when, and we're observing if there's some kind of trauma bonding thing happening and let's say we're, you know, conscious enough to not repeat that pattern and now we're looking for something that's sort of novel and new because those patterns aren't present, right? Yeah. However, even in the context, say, of the, the, the most uh, highly potentiated healthy relationship that you're starting out and you're using your brain, you're thinking, as you said, you're, you're applying wisdom and your experience. You're keeping an open heart, but an open mind and you're being thoughtful and prudent mm-hmm. and discerning and you're fucking doing it right. Okay. For lack of a better term. In pursuit of that relationship and expansion of a higher degree of intimacy with that person, even though you don't have those triggers of familiarity with, you know, your family of origin, your parents or whatever, uh, there are still things that you've had that have happened to you um, individually, different traumatic experiences in your life that your limbic system is still holding on mm-hmm. to, right? So mm-hmm. you could be um, being sexually intimate with someone and you get triggered because of a past experience with a lover or um, some negative thing that happened in your life. Or even just in, in the context of um, outside of the bedroom, relating with one another, I'm trying to think what would be um, like trying to think of a trigger for me. I mean, I'm just going to make something up that's ridiculous, but let's just say, so, you know, girlfriend comes home. Oh, what'd you do tonight? And she's like, oh, I was just hanging out with a bunch of dudes um, at this guy's apartment. We all took ecstasy. It was great. Like that would be, I would feel uncomfortable and be triggered perhaps because in the past I had a girlfriend who did a bunch of drugs and ran Mm -hmm. off and, you know, was whatever. Um, That didn't happen specifically. I'm just trying to think of something that would be like, oh God. So, even though nothing happened and everything was fine, um, I might be triggered by a past experience. Mm-hmm. You know, so it could be in or out of the bedroom, and those those limbic system responses, that sort of trauma loop that we can get caught in. Yep. Um, how can we fucking get rid of those? You know, so that 
we don't have to get triggered by a similar scenario just because it happened in the past. You know, you, you've, last time we talked a lot about havening, mm-hmm. uh, people talk about EMDR in mm-hmm. this way, neurofeedback, a number of different things where you can literally dislodge yep. those wounds so that they don't infiltrate your current experience and discolor it and cause conflict that's unnecessary. Yeah. So yes, it's a trauma loop. Great way of putting it. Um, hypnotic loop again. And havening would be fantastic for this. And, and also, um, and I'll, I, I do what I call a havening sandwich. I think I mentioned that before. So at the beginning of a session, I will do an NLP uh, called Meta Model. You ask people questions to find out. Because we, we, we take in all the information on a daily basis through our five senses. And the three predominant ones are visual, auditory, and kinesthetic, what we feel and also feel visceral. Um, so I would find out how they took in their information. So, so I'm, like a, I'm predominantly a visual person. So um, I would collect that information to use later. So let's say uh, you were an auditory person. So when I'm working with you later on in the session, I would go into more auditory terminology and things like that because then I would be speaking your language as opposed to doing a visual when that's not your predominant way of, of taking in information. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. totally. So then um, I go into the havening space, space, finding out, having found out at this point... Um, I don't do psychoanalysis. So it's not about, you know, so tell me about your father or mother, or whatever. But, you know, I will say things like, you'll tell me what the, what the issue is or the symptoms of the issue. That's usually what I get. And then I have to dial it back and dig back and find out what it was. So I may ask you questions like, so when's the first time you noticed that? How young were you when you noticed that? And, you, and what frequently happens to a client is they start doing this, it's called trans-derivational search and their eyes are looking around and everything. And they might get back to 14, but I know it's probably earlier than that because um, we we seem to lay down, um, uh, it's called adverse childhood experiences, ACE. They tend to take place between the ages of sort of zero and seven, zero and 10. And I pretty much know through my experience that something happened probably earlier than 14, let us say. So I'll listen to that and then as I'm talking to the person, because what has happened is they have buried a lot of this stuff in layers and layers of shit, you know, over the years and, and uh, numbing suffering. That's where addictions come from to numb suffering. So they'll be doing other things to get, get away from the suffering of it, like gambling, too much sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever. And because they're coming to me as adults usually. And so then we, I keep you know, gently saying, can we just go back a little bit further? And usually we'll find it. I had a client the other day and then she just, she, you know, you see it. It, it just happens physiologically. They kind of have a, what's called an ab reaction. So it's maybe a lot of tears or, you know, they go into a panic state or whatever. And, um, and I can use her as an example because she's not here and I'm not mentioning any names, but she did something, her father got upset with something he did and he locked her in the bedroom for 24 hours with nothing. And she was three and a half years old, okay? Maybe four. And no food, no going to the toilet, nothing. And she was banging on the door and this was the first time it ever happened. So her real issue going through her life and the moment I met her was abandonment. And so she would abandon everybody else first. She would just like delete friends from her life and then regret it and go and cheat on her husband because she wanted to create 
the, you know, him leaving her, pushing him away because this is what she was used to. She was used to the, uh, the abandonment, the, the being locked away, the being ignored and all of those things. And there's much more to it. So I'm really skimming over it. So what I did is I havened her as a three and a half year old. And havening is for those of your, your listeners that don't know what it is, it's a psychosensory therapy where actually with the permission of the client, touch them, face shoulders to elbows and palms of hands. And the doctors that created it, Drs. Rudin um, in New York, realized that um, the face releases the highest level of delta waves. So EMDR, I think in total is about 9%. But with havening, face is about, so let's say 70 to 80%. And I'll explain why delta waves are important in a minute. And the shoulders to elbows are about, and then a circular coming back motion um, is about 50 to 60% and the hands are about 30 to 40%. But it doesn't really matter. It's not a competition. It's like, oh, I got to do this one. So why Delta Wave? Delta Wave is our deepest sleep and healing state. And what it does is it, it allows the client to go into a really safe place so they can revisit the trauma. And we revisit it for a very short period of time. And we do distraction techniques within it where I will get them to count, count backwards while I'm talking over them. And we, we calibrate. I forgot that bit. It's really important. We do SUD, subjective unit of distress. So usually I'll have a client at an eight or a 10 and they're, you know, they're really lit up because they've got, they're in that memory, they're in that space. And I do various, um, um, I, I do havening repeatedly and I keep calibrating where they are and it, then it starts to drop down and make it from eight to five and five to three. And I, I'm not a perfectionist, but I really like to get it as close to zero as I possibly can. So I will, I will haven them whilst I'm talking to them while we're doing distraction techniques, lateral eye movement, these things we know, you know, interfere with the memory. So what we're, we're doing is you can still have the memory, but we're delinking, decoding the emotions from the memory, which is stored in the amygdala, which is what we talked about earlier, where trauma gets stored. So we tend to fight, flight, freeze, fornicate, and feed. So some, you know, this is where a lot of eating disorders also can be born um, from a traumatic event uh, that is stuck in the amygdala. So we're down-regulating it and um, releasing it. You can still have the memory. It just doesn't light you up. And then I will go into, I will finish the session with hypnosis because hypnosis is what is called future pacing. So I like to take the person out into the future and help them create a better future, which goes back to something we were talking about earlier where you created, you future paced your, your relationship. That's what you did. You took all the knowledge and the information that you had up till now and you decided what you wanted and you focused on that. And you get that. And that's what I do with my clients. I get them to, um, I don't, I'm not specific, but through suggestion, I will get them to put things on their timeline, their future timeline that they want going forward that moves them away from this pain, moves them away from the um, behaviors. And that's what is so beautiful about a hypnosis because it, hypnosis works with the unconscious or the subconscious. So we can sit and talk, a therapist can sit and talk to a client for five years about a subject but it's very logical and it's conscious. And we really, we, we have stored the behavior in our unconscious. So I, as a hypnotherapist and many other hypnotherapists, talk to the unconscious and I get permission from the unconscious to let us in and to move some things around, to rearrange the furniture, whatever. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I, you know, I recall having worked with you a few times when you had your offices here in LA, which I wish you still had. <laughs> I do Skype. Oh, you do? Okay. I do Zoom. I'm going to have to start working Please, with you. Please, let's some, do it again. sometimes I, I get triggered by something and I'm like, I, I know what it is. Mm-hmm. I even can like trace back the origin of it. You know, yep. I know it's not the situation. Like, let's say I'm, you know, in a relationship and I text someone and they don't text me back. And I'm like, I spin out, oh my God, they don't like me anymore. What I do? Yep. Like I start freaking out, you know, and meanwhile, they're they're at the fucking bank or something, you know? Um, so it's like, logically, I know I'm just being crazy and I can see, oh, it's because, you know, this other woman cheated on me or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I'm triggered by that. And I can see, oh, it's because of the early abandonment, neglect, rejection, whatever. But it still doesn't help me get out of it. Okay. Like if I'm, if I'm, you know, well, if like, I'm in it, if I'm like, oh, I feel my nervous system, I'm adrenalized, you know, and I'm like freaked out, which doesn't, you know, thankfully doesn't happen much anymore. But in a new situation, or that would be more prone to have something like that happen yeah. because there's vulnerability and insecurity and in something new. Uh, but when I came to see you, you sorted it out pretty easily. But what's interesting about it is that when we did the Havening and you're, you're sort of amalgam of modalities... I I remember coming to see you and I'm like I had I was triggered by something very specific and I'm mm-hmm. like fix this shit Michelle <laughs> like, yeah. she did this this is what's bumming me out right now this is upsetting me and then you didn't work on that you went way back to something like it was like my dad yelling at me on the on the rodeo or you know Absolutely. we were at or it was something totally unrelated but uh, I, I remember didn't, I didn't care but because I still got the relief at the end of it I was like oh my god this is totally no big deal I'm fine and was completely relaxed yeah. and had been able to recontextualize it into reality, which is nothing that actually happened. And it was fine. A client never, I, I put my heart on my hand and I believe I can say this with, a client never presents with the encoding issue. They present with the symptoms. Mm, so it's my okay. job to not treat the symptoms. I can, yeah. but what's the point of that? <laughs> you know, it's counterintuitive. I want to get the encoding issue, right? Yeah, it's counterintuitive though, because mm. as the as the um, you're the practitioner, and then you have you know the person that you're helping. We think it's this thing. We can put our finger on. Yeah. No, they did this. They said this. That's she right. did this. He did this. My boss did this. That's the thing. Fix that. But what you're saying is it really does no good because that's a symptom. Mm-hmm. We want to go for the underlying cause and decode that original oh, trauma, and it's then. Quicker. And then the more superficial trigger that you think is what's really bothering you gets um, uh, dissipated because you've gone for that Mm -hmm. root issue. And through Havening and and the work I do, all the modalities, this is how I also discovered the pattern, which I know Freud talked about a lot and various other psychotherapies and modalities talk about. But I really saw very clear the link to the parent. And it frequently is the opposite or the same sex parent. You know, a lot of daughters have will have a narcissistic mother, you know, and they they have no worth whatsoever. That They feel they have no worth whatsoever, you know, so we go back there. I do something that is really, really quite amazing that I love. It's called role havening. And I, I, I do it with, you know, great care. And it's not always at the first session, um, but I take on the role of the other person. And that, whilst I haven the client and it, I get them to, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I want them to shout at me. I want wow, them to swear damn. at me. I want them to to really be able to say all the things they haven't been able to say. And frequently that other person is dead. So they couldn't anyway. Right. And it is amazing how cathartic that is. But just to say, I know I'm talking about applying havening, but I work very, very successfully online on Zoom. I prefer actually Zoom because I think it's a more stable platform and, and Skype. Um, 
And I get the person to haven. So it's called mirror havening. They watch me haven and they haven themselves, which is sometimes even more powerful because it creates, creates mirror neurons and we have this incredible energy going back back and forth between the two of us. So it's great if I can see you in person, but I don't have to because I can do all of this on Skype or Zoom and it works just as effectively, sometimes more because I have clients that can't even leave their house. So this is perfect for them. So if, if any of your listeners out there want to work with me and I'm not in London or I'm not in LA or I'm somewhere else, I work all over the world. I have people on islands off the coast of Australia that I don't even know where they are. I have to get a map out and find them. But it works. You know, as long as we have a stable connection, I work with people. And a lot of my clients in the past year have come from my podcast with you. So thank you very awesome. much. I mean, that's why, really I do, has. that's why I do what I do. My mission is to save the world one heart at a time. Me you too. Know? <laughs> That's why we, we really... Um, Not that the world needs saving, but it's just when I find something that has... It's just very simple. I've suffered a lot like many of us have in my mm. life. And when I find something that alleviates my own suffering... Mm. I'm compelled to tell other people. I totally agree. Because it's not necessary to suffer. There are solutions to every problem. But you know? right now, after hearing this podcast, yeah. they can go to my YouTube channel, Michelle Paradise, spelled with one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, Paradise. And I have a 11-minute video on there, which is event havening. And you just need to put yourself in a quiet space, turn everything off, put the video on and follow me thinking of something that you want to change the memory of, an event. This is specifically an event because they're all different types of havening. And do it with me and notice the result. And what I say at the end of it is if your if you're, um, subjective unit of distress, the number where you started, let's say you started at an eight and it's at a seven or a five and you want to get lower, just start it all over again and keep doing it until you downregulate that. And it really works. And that's absolutely free. And I'm happy to cool. give that away to that's people. A, that's a great resource because I know myself and some of my close friends, you know, and we get in that moment, we're like, oh, what do I do? And then you yeah. you run to therapy, you run to a 12-step meeting, you try to meditate, you do breath work. You know, it's, also, like, it's like, how do I make this discomfort yeah. go away as soon as possible? So, And sometimes it is kind of a spot you know, like a spot cleaning thing where it might mm. be from an, an underlying cause, but it's been triggered by something in real time. And in order to just function and be happy, you want to just get past it as soon as possible. Because you know, it's illusion. Like when I get triggered like that, I, I'm at a point of, I think of just self-awareness. I know it's not reality. Mm-hmm. I know it's my it's mind. Just a make, thought. Yeah, it's my mind making shit up no. because I've got these old memories that have been triggered and I mm-hmm. see it, but that doesn't necessarily make me be able to stop the negative effects and the ill feeling that's created from those situations. I have people that have come back to me and said, I haven, I do hand havening at a red light in LA because the traffic is so stressful that I'll sit at a red light and just do hand havening to calm myself down. You know, it's funny. You can do it anywhere. You know, it's funny. I actually do the havening, the physical moves sometimes just without even realizing. Now it's kind of back to like, oh, I kind of do this stuff. Like I'll do the face, you know, above the eyebrows and... Sometimes if I just feel a bit nervous or I'm, you know, about to record or something like that, or I need to just relax myself. Yeah, it's cool stuff. Well, interesting you said that because havening, they discovered throughout the, the research of it, um, developing it, is it's it's connected to the mother's touch. So it's hardwired at birth. So if you want to soothe the baby, if you just stroke their forehead very gently. And I remember my son as a little boy, and one day I just started stroking his arm. 
He was like, oh, mommy, don't stop. That feels wonderful. Because it, it downloads, you know, all these wonderful uh, endorphins, but also puts you into this delta wave state, which is a very safe space. And you reminded me of something I forgot to say. I am also the personal development coach for Deepak Chopra on his digital wellness platform called Jio, J-I-Y-O. So if any of your listeners want to sign up to that, it's completely free. Go to my channel and I have about 30 plus videos on there explaining Havening, demonstrating Havening, so they can follow me on there and learn more about it. That's awesome. And uh, my website is Change Your Mind for Good. And uh, they can also see my video on there, book a session with me. Skype is actually less expensive than seeing me in person. So there's there's a motivation right there. And how does this, um, you know, the combination of the, the Havening and the hypnosis and stuff that you do, how does that um, differ in terms of efficacy? I mean, obviously you've chosen this, so you mm-hmm. must think it works better. But a lot of people talk about EMDR and I've not done that yet, but yeah. it seems some people have success with that where they're able to to get a similar result where you have this origin trauma <clears throat> and you're unraveling the triggers behind that so that it doesn't continue to come up in your life. Well, I'm going to preface my answer by saying I've never personally experienced EMDR, but I have spoken to practitioners and people that have. And what I I believe, and I hope I've got this correct, is the difference. First of all, um, Havening downloads higher levels, the touch that we do, higher levels of delta waves more quickly, or as, as quickly, I should say. But the real difference is I have a very short, um, I see people for very short periods of time. Sometimes I can do, I can clear something up in just one session. And I understand that um, with EMDR, you need to revisit the trauma in each session. That's how I understand it. So you you might be doing 10 or 12 sessions. And so in other words, you need to go to the dark place to come back to the light. Um, I don't do that with people. The They're in the dark place for literally 30 to 60 seconds. And then we start coming out into the light. And what I will do, it's the best metaphor. It's not my favorite, but it's people are like onions and we peel back the layers. So when we peel back one layer, we might unearth something else that's there. And they were like, oh, now I've had that memory. Because what this does, it triggers a lot of old memories, which isn't a bad thing. And some of them can be very uncomfortable, but when I'm working with them, I can deal with that. I can deal with every layer that needs to be dealt with. And the beauty of it is, it's like scaffolding on a building. When you start dealing with one issue, you, you'll discover uh, sort of inadvertently, you might have an aha moment and go, you know, those other two things were bothering me. They're not bothering me anymore because it's taken it out with it because they're oh, related. Right. They're it's- probably firing each other off. Those four things were all in the same rubbish bin and you you emptied exactly. the rubbish bin and they all went with it. Exactly. I'm using rubbish bin because you live in the UK. Because this is what happened to me. I went to see a guy, <laughs> this is how I got started about an issue I had and he dealt with that. And then I thought, but that doesn't bother me. That thing, which is totally unrelated, didn't bother me anymore. I thought, how, how did that work? And he said, oh yeah, well, that's that's because it was probably connected on a very deep level. And when we dealt with that, it had a, a collateral, still got some of the collateral damage with it. Wow. You know? That's Which cool. It is. It's it's so simple yet so powerful. And I don't ever badmouth any other modalities. And if EMDR works for you, I think it's fantastic. Because it's like food. It's like diets. 
Not everybody can be a vegan. Not everybody can be a vegetarian. Not everybody wants to eat big steaks. We have to find out what works for our bodies. You know that very well and you need to honor that. So if EMDR works for you, do it. If, if other modalities aren't working for you, give havening a go. And that's, that tends to be what happens to me. I get people that come to me and say, I've tried everything, you know, can you help me? And I, you know, I don't have a hundred percent track record, but it's pretty high. Well, I tell you what, as we come to a close of this recording, I'm ready to do a session. <laughs> well, I'm in town for a couple more weeks. Oh, you are? So okay. it would be my pleasure that's funny. to give you a session yeah, with I'm, my compliments. That's great. Seriously. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking... So I, get it all together, pack, pack yeah, it all up, yeah, yeah. all the yeah. things you want to work on. And I'm we'll, doing, I'm we'll doing quite well, but they're... I know you are. But they're, you know... I haven't like seen I said, you for over a year and I cannot tell you how different your energy is. Well, I'm going really? to tell you. Oh wow. my God, it's, it's palpable. Wow, interesting. Your your skin tone, your energy, your posture is different. Wow, cool. So whatever you're doing, keep doing it. I love it. And keep talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You I'm, found I'm, your voice. <laughs> yeah, it's it seems it seems so. You know, when you find your voice and someone pays you for it, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, so okay, so um, you've given us your website. Yeah. Uh, say it one more time. Uh, all the W's. Change yes. your mind. For good. Change your mind for good. And you then can you've put got, in Michelle Paris with one L. You'll probably find me as well. We can find the 11 minute havening uh, lesson or on or my YouTube channel. On your YouTube for okay. free. Absolutely. Okay. And Jayo, J I Y O, Deepak Chopra. I'm, I have a channel on his um, digital wellness platform. And there's at least 30 videos there and some testimonials. And I actually, cool. inter- on my YouTube channel, I interview the doctors that created Havening. Oh, so it's very I'd like to insightful. Watch that. Yeah, you, so they're you still around, these guys. They live in New York. They're twins, oh, twin cool. brothers. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow, cool. Fascinating. Yeah, one is a um, neuropharmacologist and the other is a dental surgeon. And they discovered this through their own work. And yeah, it's fabulous. It's been around for years. It's not yeah. It's not new, but it wasn't yeah. until about five years ago they started training practitioners and I happen to be one of those practitioners. Cool. So it's really exciting. And I'm about to start training online. Um, they've asked me to become one of their online trainers. So, or or the, their online trainer, there isn't one. Right. So I'm going to set up a, a way of training people so they can be certified on a, with an online oh, perfect. course. Perfect. Oh man. So wherever That's they awesome. live, they can do it. More healing. That's what we need. Absolutely. The world's full of broken hearts that can be mended and healed mm. with the right technique. Uh, so thank you for that. In closing, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you last time, but you probably don't remember what your answers were, so we'll find a different one. I didn't even remember the question. So good. <laughs> I never I never warned people I love of this. It. I like to make them people befuddled. Uh, so the question is this. You've taught me so much today. I mean, as I said, I'm listening here for my personal benefit mm. and the, the fringe, be- the secondary benefit is anyone listening. Hopefully they they get something out of it too, but you've taught me so much. So who have been three teachers right now that you might recommend our listeners go check out sort of upstream from you? Like who are your heroes and your, your go-tos mm-hmm. that you've studied or continue to study that they might be able to go learn from? Wow. That is a tough one. Three. I, I, Deepak Chopra, obviously. I mean, I think he's amazing. Um, he really, he really stretches my mind. You know, you think you know stuff and then you listen to somebody like him and I sometimes go, I know nothing. <laughs> I really don't. And I love people that really stretch my mind. Um, there's a guy in, in London that I don't know if a lot of people will know about, but his name is Daniel Priestley and he's written several books about um, accelerating your business and how to do business. And, 
And he has really stretched my mind recently because um, he just flips it all on its head. And, you know, you got to write a book. Have you written a book? No. You got to write a book. You know, I talked to an agent and they were uh, enthusiastic about that prospect. Mm -hmm. So I did put my toe in the water a bit, but I have this pending kind of TV, this Hollywood TV thing. And I I don't want to commit to pursuing the book and then have something happen with that and drop the ball and not deliver, um, you know, on either. So I'm kind of like in... Which is so typical in Hollywood. There's always someone that wants to make a goddamn reality show. Yeah, you know how many times I hear this story? Oh, I've been through this so many times. And But <laughs> I'm I'm holding out for a minute. But thank you. And Can't I, you do both? They're not exclusive, are they? Mutually exclusive. I mean, you know, come on, you could do both. I like to go hiking and hang yeah, but, out. <laughs> see, I'm working on a book and I know that my podcast is really going to help me write my book even right. better. Yes. And you're already way ahead of the game. Well, yeah. Okay. You so know? I'll, I'll write a book. So can we make a little pinky promise? Yeah. Maybe? Oh, no. I'm going to do a book. It's just kind of a, it's a matter of when. So, um, so you're busy. Okay. And so he's, he's yeah. really made me, help me to look at business differently. And one of and his main tenets is you got to have a book. Absolutely. It's okay. called a key person of influence. You got to become a key person of influence, right? Right. And it's, whether we like it or not, the book just elevates that. You know, it yeah. really elevates that. Even if you self-publish, you know, you got to have something between the covers that is of value to people. Right. But it really does elevate you. And I did a big pivot whilst on the course. So all the things I thought I was going to do, I came away with, no, I don't want to do any of those. I want to do this now. And that has been remarkable for me. Oh, good for you. God, that kind of clarity is so yeah. invaluable, isn't it? It is. And yeah. it's a little scary. You know, because I'm now walking out onto a long pier. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> God knows what's going to happen. But, yeah. but you know, other things in my life, I'm, I'm creating to be really good and supportive and all of that. So I'm not going alone, which is good. Cool. And the third um, is a very interesting person. Her name is Professor Helen Story. And I just want to tell you a little story about her. Um, I modeled for her many years ago in London. She was a famous designer. Like a lot of designers, she, you know, had hard times and things like that. She went down and came back up. But we became friends and um, we've remained friends for 30 years. And I've watched Helen go through so many personal changes that have affected so many people in such a positive way. And she is just my hero. I frequently have, a well, when I can have a meal with her and we sit down and we just go into the space of conversation that I don't do with anyone else. And right now she is physically in Jordan, uh, outside of Amman at the Za'atari Syrian refugee camp for a year. And she is working with uh, female refugees, teaching them skills to open their own businesses. And when she first told me, she would never put it like this because she doesn't think of herself in this way at all. But when she first told me she was taking like um, uh, famous designers out to this refugee camp and they were going to teach these women to how to embroider and famous makeup artists and this. And I'm like, makeup? But what has happened is they've now been able to set up their own micro businesses because the one big day of their lives, the one joyful moment of their lives is their wedding day. So they embroider themselves and they do this incredible hair and makeup. So now they have makeup artists and hairdressers and embroiderers and 
But that's not what it's about. It's about giving this, these women hope. And where she works is just unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's inhumane. It really is. But she's giving these people hope. And that for me is what life is all about. Communication awesome. and connection. Yeah. And it, I get emotional when I even think about it. So I'm trying to find a way to go out there and do something oh, with cool, her. And cool. we're working on that. That's for, you know, I, that for me would, I, I really do want to help and make a difference, but it's also, I just think it would be such an incredible experience, which may sound a bit selfish, but, but I, I've never had that experience. And I, I would like to have that experience in my life to, to go to a place that is so out of my comfort zone and work with people that, um, have so little. Awesome. Well, make sure you keep us posted if I you will. make it out there. All right, my to. friend, Michelle Paradise. I think we've done it. We have. We nailed in it. Spades. We nailed it. <laughs> we we nailed it as an embedded command. Absolutely. I got it. I'm paying attention. That's <laughs> so funny. Like every time I, I bring up NLP and I start looking at it, then I find myself, I mean, not intentionally doing it, but I see the after of like the... Um, the sort of post meaning of embedded commands, everything I say, I'm like, oh, that could have been this way or that way. So, yeah. This yeah. way, as I said earlier, we do it naturally. Right, right. We, we, we're we in hypnotic loops all day long. Is this where that term Freudian slip comes from? Could be. I don't know. I don't know the derivation of it. Yeah. I'd have to look it up yeah. before but I, I mean, said that. That's, but, that's kind of what it means. If, you know, yeah. if, you, you know, you, you mean to say, oh, I really like that guy and you say you hate him. Well, that, you know, it's something slipped out of the subconscious yeah, that exactly. you didn't get to filter. Or you truths know? are said in jest. Have you heard that one? Right. You yeah, know, when yeah. people say, oh, I was just kidding. Yeah. But were they? Were they just kidding? Or did they really mean one it? One of my spiritual teachers years ago, uh, he said, Luke, there are no such thing as jokes. Yeah. When someone says, oh, yeah, no, I'm just fucking with you. I'm just kidding. He's like, mm-hmm, there's always something behind it, you know? Exactly. Because yeah. they, they were testing it to see how it landed. Right. And if it didn't land in the way they wanted it to land or hoped it to land, this is my take on it. They go, mm. oh, I was just kidding. Sorry, don't, don't get upset. I was <laughs> yeah, just kidding. Totally. Right? Totally. So then they can walk away from it and go, oh, you know, right. got away with that. But, but you don't. You don't get away with it. But if I could just say one thing to your listeners, yeah. please stay awake. Please stay awake. Great. In your relationships. Yeah. Please, please, please stay awake and pay attention. Great, great closing comment, which brings us back to really the purpose of this, which is, you know, conscious relating, conscious relationships, staying oh. awake. And that's um, that's my number one priority in my own personal life and helping others to hopefully awaken is the job of this podcast. So yeah. thank you for contributing to that today. Love it. And I you look know, forward I to our next talk. <laughs> Me too. Thank you. Well, that was a fun conversation, wasn't it? I'm hoping that if you are currently in a romantic relationship, that uh, the information that you just learned is going to help you and your partner communicate more effectively, to be more intimate, and uh, above all, to have better sex, right? Uh, let's talk about next week's episode, how to hack your wardrobe and love your body with costume designer Lisa Evans. If you've seen a romantic comedy in the past 10 years, She was probably the costume designer for that film. Very talented lady, super fun, and gives us some great insights into how to um, dress right for the body that you're in and gives a very sort of, um, how do I say it? Uh, A very conscious approach to what we wear and why we wear it and how to feel good in our body. So that's next week with Lisa Evans. Let's thank our sponsors, I'd like to thank Alatura Naturals for keeping my face looking good enough to um, warrant 
being in a relationship. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Alatura Naturals makes you look pretty, y'all. They make really great natural skincare products, and I use their face lotion every single damn day. So thanks to Alatura Naturals and their founder, Andy Nilo, who's been on the show, I think, two or three times now. If you want to get some super, super effective and clean and organic uh, skincare products, go to alaturanaturals.com. And here's what's even better. If you use the code LIFESTYLIST, you're going to save 20% off and get free shipping within the United States of America. That's alaturanaturals.com. The code is LIFESTYLIST. And we've got foursigmatic.com forward slash the lifestylist where you can enter the code the lifestylist and save 15% off the most badass medicinal mushrooms and instant coffee and all those good stuff. All those good stuffs, all them good things that Four Sigmatic makes. Foursigmatic.com forward slash the lifestylist. Last but most certainly not least is organify.com forward slash Luke. That's organify spelled with an I. Enter the code lifestylist there and save 20% off their amazing superfood products like the Organifi Green Juice, the Organifi Red Juice, and the one that I had tonight, actually, I'm not even bullshitting you, before recording, I had the Organifi Gold. I made my, actually, no, my girlfriend made, I can't even take credit, my girlfriend had this Organifi Gold little uh, special chill-out brew for me when I came home. I think she calls it like a, a mocktail. Luke, I made your mocktail. So lovely. So thanks to the lady and thanks to Organifi. And with that, I'm signing out because I'm flying out tomorrow morning to Austin, Texas to go to Paleo FX. Super stoked. And you can look forward to a number of podcasts recorded in the lovely state of Texas coming at you real soon. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.